Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're about to get 70 up in here. Interesting. How many times do you think people, when this movie came out, made the joke of like, oh, I never saw one through six? You're, I'm sure you're going to do it on the podcast. No, <laughs> no, no. It's hack. And I don't do hack humor. Uh-huh. Let's hear the song. <laughs> Alien 3 disappointed. David Fincher felt exploited. Nearly made him quit the business Till the script landed on his desk From Andrew Kevin Walker It was a script he could craft The only little issue was they accidentally sent the wrong draft. I wanna film the original ending. The one you sent me in the first draft. <laughs> I wanna film the original ending. It really knocked off my socks. When he said, What's in the box? Who's in the box? What's in the box? I'm what's in the fucking box? You can't have the original ending. New Line thinks that ending is bad. You can't have that fucked up ending. Cause it might make the audience sad. I'm gonna walk if I don't get it. And Brad Pitt told me he would walk too. And Morgan Freeman's coming with us. <laughs> if we don't get that ending, that shocks. So give us what's in the box. Y'all seven deadly sense, Captain. Gluttony, greed, sloth, 
wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Today on Cinema Possessed, we're talking Finchers. Seven. That might have been the longest opening <laughs> song. <I laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And guess who's back? Oh, <laughs> back again. I'm back in the puddle. Justin's back for seven. Mm. I really wanted to say I'm John Doe, but it's too late. <laughs> uh, we had a lot of listeners reaching out while, while you were gone saying, where's Justin? All the Patreon When's subscribers left. We, lot, we had, had <laughs> Every a big goal in <laughs> yeah. viewership. We're broke now. Yeah. We're totally broke. You know, I wasn't planning on coming back, but the demand from Instagram yeah. was <laughs> so overwhelming, uh, I didn't have a choice. Letters to your house. Yeah. Uh, and as always, we are joined by the John Doe of this podcast, Corey Clifford. <laughs> Why didn't you say Jane Doe? Yeah. And also, I'm no fucking John Doe. Doe because she's knows got my big name. Doe eyes. Well, you're very like exacting it. and methodical, and you definitely have the... Most composition notebooks out of all of us here. That's true. Mm-hmm. You journal uh, every day your aspirations. That's mm-hmm. true. Uh-huh. That's Manifesting true. That's your true. best John Doe life. <laughs> and Lord knows with how many times you've burned yourself on the curling iron, you barely have any fingertips yeah. at this That's point. honestly very true. That's very <laughs> Corey wow. also does dip her tea like mm-hmm. John Doe. <laughs> well, in I'm... a very creepy way. Mm-hmm. Oh. I see myself in him. Speaking of burned, I scalded the ever-loving shit out of my tongue on a, on a movie theater hot dog this week. What? To the point where it's it still... It makes no sense. It's but he's still been talking tangled. about it every day. You should day. sue them. I really should. What what happened? So, Friday night, Corey was at work. I decided I'm going to go see a movie. Which one? Talk to me. Mm-hmm. I checked the AMC app. Full theater. There is one seat available, and it is the perfect seat. Second mm. to last row dead center mm-hmm. i was like well this is the universe telling me i gotta go see <laughs> how is the seat gonna come into play in the story um it's not it's <laughs> i wasn't sure it was at like 6 45 i know Corey wanted to see the movie i was kind of just like looking for something to do yeah he was sneak trying to sneak it he didn't ask for your permission to see the movie without you no and usually i know this i know this about jack and i'm like okay whatever we did get in a little tiff about this one because we had talked about but this I bet, one. I bet said, but I bet I'll go see it again. Exactly. I'll, I'll see, see it again. again. I'll see I'm it always, again. I'm always willing to go see the movie again. Yeah. Um, it's not the same as that first viewing. It's not. Especially when I feel like Talk to Me was more my excitement mm-hmm. of a movie. I was like, have you seen the trailer for this movie? Have you heard about this movie? And you weren't even that interested until. Oh, I was interested. Mm. Anyways, I only had like 30 minutes to get to the movie. So you I hadn't. Hun- you were hungry. I hadn't eaten dinner. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, "Dang, I guess I'm gonna have to get a hot dog mm-hmm. and a Coca Cola. Sucks. Maybe a side of popcorn. Oh, that sucks. So I get there. I got five dollars reward points, anyways. Do you do the thing on the app where it's waiting for you when no, you get there? I've never done Which, it. Which that's have. so smart because we've, we've done it. It works really well. Yeah. Yeah. We need to start doing it because I don't AMC think about lines it. I are forget. bananas at yeah. this point. So I order a hot dog. I go into the theater. I'm sitting in between two total strangers. I pull out the hot dog, and it's 
a strong pungent smell and I suddenly kind of get self-conscious because I'm like, these people didn't sign up for the hot dog smell. So I was like, I need to eat this thing fast. So I put some ketchup on it. They didn't have mustard. I would normally do that. So I put some ketchup on it and I took a big old bite and I swear, dude, it was like boiling hot (laughs) oil. Honestly, Just, it kind of feels like the universe was having my back. It was punishing right. him for you seeing this movie and this is, me. That's abnormal. Happy. Like most of the time when you get a movie theater hot dog, it's, it's like lukewarm yeah. at best. So the fact that it was hotter than any hot dog I've ever had in my <laughs> Here's life, what I, I would have spit it out had I not been in the theater with strangers. I have one important question to ask you. Hmm. What did you do to piss off the person at the concession stand? Ooh, I don't know. Great question. I think I was nice to them. Were you snapping at them? <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> I got to be honest. Had I let that hot dog cool for like three minutes, it would have been one of the best movie theater hot dogs ever. Movie because theater hot dogs, I think, are usually spot on. It was juicy. There was a lot of juice in it. And it was good tasty juice, mm-hmm. but just completely destroyed my tongue. And my tongue has been still tingly numb since then. I think I actually did some damage to it. Did you scream when it happened? I wanted to. <laughs> I literally did have the moment of like, what do I do right now? Did you keep chewing? Oh, like, of course, you, yeah. So you just swallowed. And then I took another bite like right after. <laughs> well, at that point, you're already- Exactly, it already yeah. ruined my mouth. Yeah. Uh, and each week, we take a close <laughs> look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be force-fed spaghetti till it bursts. Do you think whenever John Doe brought over a new plate, he said, I don't think you're ready for this spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) That was part of the torture. Justin, tell the people what movie we're watching today. Today, we're watching... David Fincher's 1995 Spooky Fest. What? Come on. To, <laughs> try to, again. Try again. Fe- I mean, I would define this as a yeah. spooky fest. Today we're watching <laughs> creepy David, crawler. David Fincher's 1995 <laughs> creepy crawling masterpiece <laughs> 7. Like what you do for a living? You have to wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. Look, I'm going to homicide five years. Not here. Now, we have ourselves a homicide. They're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is dead. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. I hate this city. We're going to get who did this. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. Brad Pitt. Morgan Freeman. Gwyneth Paltrow. Have you ever seen anything like this? No. Seven. 
Also starring Kevin Spacey as himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, notably, they let, they did not advertise mm-hmm. Spacey as being in this movie, which was smart. Well, Very I think smart. it was, well, what do you mean smart? Because of everything that's happened since? No, or? like to keep him a secret. Oh, like yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he allowed them to not put his name on any of the marketing, on any of the posters. It's it not is in the crazy, opening though, credits. how little he is in this movie. In my brain, he was much yeah. bigger. It's a true, like, surprising reveal. And I mean, he for for the amount of time that he's in the movie, it's pretty memorable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got to be honest, I think he rocks in this movie. Yeah. And thank God he's uh, 100% innocent now. (laughs) Yeah, he was acquitted. Now, was that, I heard about that, but is that just like on his, like, UK charges? That is on the UK charges. He has, like, 30 accusations against Mm -hmm. him. He was acquitted on the nine accusations and in UK in the UK mm. but he's still got all those yeah American I mean he's a creep yeah UK is yeah. probably like come come over here make make movies oh yeah here. he's like we got Woody yeah we got Woody <laughs> we got Roman is that where Woody Allen is now is in the UK he lives in France yeah. of course um don't you tell me does this ever happen to you do you hate when this happens you go to watch seven mm-hmm. you pull it off your shelf mm-hmm. you pop it in mm-hmm. you got Morgan Freeman you're feeling good Morgan Hour and a half into the movie, you're like, huh, Brad Pitt kind of awfully looks a lot like Josh Hartnett. And then you start to realize, shit, I popped in lucky number 11. <laughs> Don't you hate when that happens to you? Oh, you're, you're, you're just having a good time and you realize it's not the movie you wanted to watch. Damn. But, but it's like almost as good. It's almost as good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't Bruce Willis in that too? Bruce Willis. I've never even Morgan heard Freeman, of this movie. Josh Hartnett. How do I As not a know Josh Hartnett fan, I know. you're not. Lucky number you know, 11. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's one of those like Hitman. It's not good. Hitman, what year was this movie? This movies. must have been out of my Josh Hartnett. This was phase. probably early 2000s. I want to say like 2005. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was out of the Hartnett full throttle. Uh, when did y'all first see this movie? I assume none of us saw it in theaters. This is a hard R. Parents aren't Definitely letting not. the kids see this one. I'm sorry, what year did you say this movie was? 1995. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I can't remember d- at I all. I doubt I even saw this on VHS. Oh, was it a TV thing, or did you find it did later in college? Did this movie play on TV? Yeah, it started yeah, I to. Yeah, feel like, I feel like it TV now, is probably, yeah. or you, yeah. or college. Pop, pop yeah. cult, a lot of pop culture familiarity, a lot of yeah. like maybe some TV stuff, but maybe didn't see it in full until college. Yeah, or, I know. think so, too. But always knew the, like, What's in the box? Like the yeah. people said yeah. that all the time. I think I was a little late to the Fincher game. In if, general, if I had been more aware of Fincher, more of a fan, no doubt it would have led me to this. Did you see Fight Club when it came out on video? I saw Fight Club right away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, it was at a time I didn't, I didn't really put that much weight on the directors early on in my like movie watching career. Sure. It just wasn't like some like ooh, who direct uh, not. It took me a long time to understand that the director was the person to follow if you liked a movie and right. wanted to kind of, oh see some, what else yeah. are they working on. Mm-hmm. I just didn't really understand their involvement until later. This one for me was a benefit of having an older brother because I never would have been able to rent this movie on my own. But my brother, six years older than me, so when this movie came out, he was probably... 14, 13, 14. And so he was kind of able to get his hands on stuff like this. My parents would rent him movies like this. And so if it got into the house, I was usually able to see it. And I remember my brother renting this movie. And I was like vaguely aware of it. I remember seeing commercials and stuff for it, but I wasn't like 
super interested in it, mostly because it looked scary and I wasn't that interested in watching scary stuff. But I remember he had like a sleepover with a friend. They watched it by themselves. And then the next day, it was just me and my brother. Oh, my parents were at work. And he was like, let's watch Seven. And so I was terrified to do it, but I was like, I got to take this opportunity to like watch <laughs> a, an adult movie with my brother. And I remember him sort of prepping me for it, like telling me what the movie was about and even describing some of the kills and more gruesome stuff. And honestly, the movie scared the living shit out of me the first time I saw it. But I sort of suffered through it just to like not well, look like a loser. He was ahead of his time giving you like trigger warnings and stuff at, a, at an early age. He did it for all the movies. He, he did it for like Scream. I remember he was like, it's crazy because they make you answer questions. And if you get the question wrong, they kill you. If you get the question right, they still <laughs> kill you. <laughs> But yeah, I, I saw a lot of movies that way, like sort of in secret with my brother when my parents were at home. And I remember for the longest time thinking this was the scariest movie I'd ever seen and having like arguments with my friends who were like, probably scariest movie I've ever seen, probably Freddy Krueger. And I would be like, <laughs> not a movie. <laughs> yeah. A, Idiot. not a movie. Yeah. B, it's not as scary as yeah. seven. Oh, uh, but Chucky, Chucky's probably the scariest thing. I was like, also it's not, not as not scary. <laughs> no such thing. It doesn't exist. <laughs> but then they weirdly call Michael Myers, but they call Halloween Michael Myers. Michael Myers, yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, so many people did just call uh, Jason. You know, yeah. they would say like, I saw Jason. Yeah. That's funny. All those movies. Yeah had real titles, but mm -hmm. everybody just called them Freddy Krueger, Chucky, Jason. Not I Michael Myers, so I didn't No, like people call called Halloween. Halloween. I call Exorcist Pazuzu. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, I call Jaws Shark. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, have y'all seen Shark lately? Yeah. Still holds up. So how did you watch it this time? I went to my local bibliotheque. Mm. Uh, that means library. It's, uh, it's German for library, yeah. <laughs> Did you know people who could not say library? They only said library? No. Mm. I knew multiple kids who like mm. would not put the R in there. They called it a library. library. But yeah, I think I have the same version that you do. The oh. New Line uh, two disc platinum edition. Yep. That's the one. Uh, that looks like a notebook. It's composition cool. notebook, which brings back a lot of school yeah. memories yeah, it to does. me. I had this exact composition notebook. For, um, for science class. I did a little bit of digging. It looks like the movie came out on Criterion, but only Laserdisc. I think so, yeah. yeah. They talk about it on the on the, on yeah. the commentary. That would have been cool. To yeah. There was a lot of cool Criterion releases on Laserdisc that never made it to DVD. Mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Why just Laserdisc? Nobody even has that. Well, it was his own, you know, Laserdisc came uh, before DVDs, and so it was sort of its own little industry, but it didn't last that long. You never had a Laserdisc player? Well, only later on in life, but not in not yeah. when... I had one friend who lived in a trailer, and his parents had a Laserdisc player, and I thought it was the coolest fucking thing, because mm. they're the size of records. So you just, to like, go to their collection and, like, pull out The Exorcist and just look yeah. at it in, like, a vinyl record form was cool. Yeah. That would be ama an amazing comeback if... The next generation of physical media was mm -hmm. giant discs like <laughs> yeah. that. We need them. Um, Bring them back. Just the same way LPs came back. But This is a good addition. I thought the, the transfer looked good. Uh, the special features are, at a glance, not spectacular. But once you start digging into them, they're actually pretty fascinating because it's all, it's like, these are the special features that like the real film heads want. It's commentaries. Yeah. It's like in-depth like we're gonna dig into how we remastered the sound on yeah, this movie. Two two audio commentaries for mm -hmm. the movie. Did you watch the uh, commentaries for the title sequence? I did. That was mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. 
So you get to watch the title sequence uh, three different three versions. Different ways. And hear two different audio commentaries on that, which is interesting. And here's a question for you. A lot of times with these older DVDs, they will say things in the menus like, press the angle button on your yeah, remote what to is change angle the angles. Button? I don't think that button exists anymore on uh, DVD and Blu-ray players. I definitely had a DVD. My first DVD player did have an angle button. I don't, What did it look like? Um... I don't know, had like a, maybe a, like a, a square or something on it. Yeah, oh. and it, it just said angle on it. Huh. Uh, I don't remember ever using it as a kid. Yeah, I was very confused. Um, I didn't know if, it, if that means like next chapter. Just it's essentially press- like, you know how you there's an there's an audio button where you can, while you're watching the movie, you can click it and switch the audio yeah. tracks to commentaries or different languages. It's basically just the same thing, but for angles, but not every movie did that. In fact, I would say very few of them had any yeah. sort of alternate angles. But I remember uh, Die Hard has a really good DVD that has, you can you can watch a scene from the various angles that weren't used in the movie. Yeah. And this one had it too, but yeah, my remote doesn't have it. So in order to, to watch those different things, you just have to go in and watch the whole thing front to back, uh, which I didn't do. The only thing I was disappointed uh, or expected was, was just, you know, a good solid 40 minute yeah. behind the scenes doc. There's no behind the scenes doc. And I Googled, and I don't even think one exists. Like, I don't know if they ever made made one, which is unfortunate because it seems like the behind the scenes of this, like, video form would be cool. But pretty fascinating. Commentary was good, and I liked all the... I even, like, watched all the uh, photo galleries and stuff because they talked a lot about just what it's like to be on the on the set and to be a film in your song. Still. You mentioned something about the ending. What was that? So we'll get into the backstory. David Fincher, this is technically his second film, but what was uh, his first film? His first film was Alien 3. Oh, yeah, he said that in the song. He was a music video director, very popular music video director, got the opportunity to make Alien 3 for Fox, and it was just the worst, absolute worst experience. Um, they they kind of controlled him the whole way. They took the cut away from him. He never ended up making the version that he wanted. He was quoted as saying afterwards, I thought I'd rather die of colon cancer than make another movie after Alien 3. He was legit ready to just not do feature films anymore because the experience was so traumatizing for him. He wanted he disowns the movie now like he wanted to take his name off of it. He doesn't really consider it one of his movies. And so um, when this script came along, Seven. This was kind of like his chance to redo his first feature. The script was written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who was like in his early 20s. He'd never written a movie before. We've talked about him previously on our Patreon for the movie Hideaway, which is crazy. It came out the same year, 1995. Two movies by the same guy, one a fucking masterpiece and one (laughs) almost atrocious. (laughs) But you can see some similarities. Yeah, Yeah, you you honestly can. His fascination with methodical serial killers is, is kind of in there. Andrew Kevin Walker wrote the script for Seven while he was working at Tower Records in New York City. He moved to New York after college, um, and he absolutely hated the city. He he was really intimidated by it. He thought it was scary, and you can feel that in this script. Like the the, the unnamed city of Seven is a is a, almost a character in the film mm-hmm. in terms of the way people talk about it, the way it's expressed. It's this sort of like dreadful, toxic place that nobody likes. Yeah. And apparently that was the way he really felt about New York at the time. He wrote this script. He knew nobody in the business. David Kep was a writer who had kind of just broken on the scene at the time. That movie Bad Influence with Rob Lowe and James Spader. He had written that. Uh, Andrew Kevin Walker literally looked his name up in the phone book and cold called him and said like, hey, I have a script that I wrote. I don't know anybody. I don't know how to get it out there. I don't have agent. I don't have manager. Would you mind just reading it? And David Kep was like, sure, send it. And he read it 
and he thought it was pretty good. And so he was like, I'll get this out there. And so uh, he ended up getting the script sold to this Italian production company who was like, we're going to make the movie. And the director that they attached to it that they had a deal with was this director named Jeremiah Chechik, who was the director of Christmas Vacation. (laughs) And he was locked and loaded, ready to be the director. But right away, they were like, this ending, too dark. Because he in that original first draft, it was what you see in the movie is the mm-hmm. head in the box and everything. They were like, there's no fucking way we're going to end the movie like this. So they first had him rewrite the ending a number of different ways. But I think they eventually landed on this sort of like action set piece that took place in a burning church. And then the director came on and he had a bunch of notes. And Andrew Kevin Walker said that he ended up doing like six or seven drafts of it. And every single time he was like, felt like the drafts were just getting worse and worse, but he was so new. He didn't feel like he had any power. He was just like, I just thought that was my job was just to do whatever they wanted me to do. Ended up completely falling through with the Italian production company. They lost all their money and the script basically went back up for sale and New Line bought it and presented it to David Fincher, but they accidentally sent him the first draft. It was a complete Mm. biff on their part. And Fincher uh, loved the script. He was really attracted to it. And so he was like, I will do this movie, but I want to do this version of the script. As they got people on board, like Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, Fincher essentially just convinced them all like, hey, you need to put it in your contracts that this has to be the ending. Wow. The whole way through, New Line made them do other versions of the ending too. They didn't like full out shoot a bunch of them, but they had like versions where there's like a dead dog in the box. And the coda... Uh, after the box stuff is was all was all a, com- a compromise mm-hmm. added. Like yeah. wait, what? Brad what Pitt going away in the car and uh, Morgan Freeman's yeah. quote at the end. The uh, was it mm-hmm. Ernest Hemingway? The Hemingway quote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Personally, I like yeah. Dakota. I do too. I he wanted it to cut to black. Yeah, it would be very. He wanted interesting. it to cut to black at right which. after Brad Pitt shoots John Doe, yeah. which would be Ooh. interesting. Yeah, but I thought I like Dakota. Yeah, I think I it's cool. Too. Um. I remember at the time, Brad Pitt was kind of like a joke. Do y'all remember that? I do remember a time when it was like he was just a pretty boy. Like, yeah. And I feel like, though, that lasted for a long time. Before this movie, he had done Thelma and Louise, which is a fairly small part, but memorable. He'd done Interview with a Vampire, and then he had done uh, Legends of the Fall right before this. And in all of those cases, the main comment about him was that he was just like this hunky, blue-eyed Teen dream stud, which so, he is. So what? I know, yeah. like absolutely. But correct. he wasn't respected but he's such as a good actor in all those things too. I, I didn't see any of those movies growing up, but I do specifically remember Brad Pitt being sort of like shit on by most people. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing. I think this was maybe the first time I'd ever seen Brad Pitt was when mm-hmm. I watched this movie. Fight Club was probably the second time I'd ever seen him, and I remember after watching Fight Club being like, "Why don't people like him?" He seems cool to me. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Fight Club is when the tides started turning. It is. I think this is actually, so he 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 wanted to do this movie so badly because he really wanted to reshape his Career. image. And I think he's really good in this movie. I mean, he's people, so good. if you read reviews at the time, people are still kind of like trying to shit on him. They're, they're like comparing him to Morgan Freeman and the other performances and saying that like he's too wiry or that he's like does too much with his mouth and his hand gestures like he's he's, he's too physical with it i think he's it. perfect i love perfect. it the dynamic of like the seasoned calm zen like police officer with this sort of like fresh face cocky yeah boy, it feels it's like it's perfect it's perfectly yeah 
I think Morgan Freeman is great in the movie too. Mm-hmm. So good. Honestly, I think he deserves more credit for being like a more fun actor. I, think- I was just thinking this, that it's surprising to me because it's like when you think of Morgan Freeman now, it's like everybody just does the voice and like, mm-hmm. honestly, I think- He's oh, Mr. Prestige. Yes. Or like God from like, yeah. um, whatever those movies were. Bruce, uh, Bruce Almighty. Yeah, Bruce Almighty. Um, and Evan. I don't know if he's in Evan Almighty. Never well, saw it. <laughs> no, but I feel like that's like what he's known for. But then when like I think about it, I'm like, he's actually made such yeah. interesting choices in his career. He's He loves genre movies. He, yeah. did, he did this. He did Kiss the Girls, Hard Rain, Chain Reaction, Along Came a Spider, Dreamcatcher, The President in Deep Impact, mm-hmm. pre-Obama. It's a bold choice. In what movie? Deep Impact. Can't. Can't remember anything about that. You don't remember the giant meteor headed towards Earth? <laughs> it only was a huge life-changing event for the planet. I, I believe you, but no. <laughs> uh, Kevin Spacey was also kind of hot this time, too. He had just done uh, The Usual Suspects, uh, as well as a number of other things that was like- Kind of similar, right? Twist-wise with Ish, him? yeah. Just, it's a twisty ending. I was surprised that like his rate was so high they like almost couldn't afford him. It's yeah, like, oh what? really? For just such a small part and given That's how his, big he was at the time. His I looked at his filmography, I was like, where did he get such a high rate? I think like, it was all usual suspects. That movie was really celebrated at the time. We he, watched he that movie what I don't know, during the pandemic or something, ago. and I was like lame it's kind of it's kind of goofy it's it's, it's not good it still works in parts but it's like overall like a little goofy. i i have an amendment i think at one point in an earlier podcast i said braveheart was the first dvd i ever got Uh that's not true it was the first dvd ever um gifted to me that i asked for usual suspects was the first dvd Mm. ever in my possession because i won it at like a fair oh, uh, wow. at my mom's work. That's a pretty solid one. I had it. I had, that was one of my yeah. early DVDs too. Yeah. So I had the disc before I even had a DVD player. It's called Usual Suspects? The yeah. Usual Suspects. Is there an Brian Unusual Singer. Suspects? No. In no. my head, I always thought it was the Unusual <laughs> Suspects. <laughs> now these are very usual, yeah. these guys. Uh, yeah. And they did. They all had. That was another one that... Um, all the actors rallied behind because they yeah. all wanted Spacey. Yeah. Pitt wanted Spacey, Freeman, but the studio didn't want him. And it was mostly just because of his rate. And so that was another one where... Who did they want? Do we ever know? Um, They don't really talk about who else they floated. I think it was yeah. mostly just like... But they auditioned Arlie... Um, uh, Ermie. Ermie. And who? The guy who plays the police chief uh, from... Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Mm. Yep, so they say... I remember he, him well. <laughs> You don't remember the guy who talks like a private? Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I do. Yeah, know he's their boss. About. He's yeah. their police okay. chief. Yeah, yeah. Come on, somebody had a beef with the fat man and just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my favorite part is when the phone rings and he answers it. He goes, "This isn't even my desk." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just slams the phone down. Uh, originally, before they stumbled upon Spacey, uh, they were imagining Ned Beatty to be the role of of John Doe mm-hmm. because Fincher. And Ed, Andrew Kevin Walker had always imagined John Doe to look more like the Zodiac, like police sketch. So like a very sort of frumpy, unassuming guy with glasses and like a, you know, like a crew cut. And if you look at the storyboards, that's kind of the way he's depicted in the storyboards for Seven is this sort of like little man with glasses. But then once they saw Spacey, they kind of like 
reinvented They're like, the role for him. This dude's a fucking creep. Let's yeah, him. he's truly creepy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the perfect role for Kevin. Oh my Spacey. gosh, it's so good. I would say this movie is probably the movie that pops up the most on like directors' lookbooks. And, you know, like inspiration for mm-hmm. its cinematography, its general mm-hmm. style. I mean, it's been copied. And we've done I, it. We've yeah. done it. Yeah. We've Guilty it. as charged. I told you as we were watching it, the credit sequence, I was like, oh, wow. True Detective just completely ripped off I seven. I, I would say this American, whole American group. Horror Story. American Horror Story, too. Even mm-hmm. the, the, especially the sound design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard for sure. straight up sounds from American Horror Story. That's so it. true. Yeah. Surprising to me too, watching it again, like I don't find the look of this movie to be dated at mm-hmm. all. And no. I've seen so many people who try to emulate it end up dating their movies because they go too hard on like the color correction. They try to make it look too yeah. yellow or too green or something. And it ends up like Saw to me looks very dated. Yeah. And Saw is clearly trying to do like a seven look to it. Mm-hmm. The cinematographer for, for this was um, Darius Kanji. Uh-huh. Who was Jean-Pierre Jeunet's guy originally. He's a French cinematographer. He did like Delicatessen, City of Lost Children, all that before this. Such a smart move to get him to shoot this movie. After this came out, you could just see the wave of influence. I mentioned Kiss the Girls earlier, Along Came a Spider. The movie Fallen with Denzel Washington has this kind of look. Eight millimeter, which is also an Andrew Kevin Walker. So Fincher wasn't a name Bone yet. collector. No. Mm-mm. So Not the, a household right name. after this came out. This totally put him on the map he was like, as a big as yeah. a big director. Do you feel like this genre of movies is gone? This particular? Yeah. I think it's moved to television. It has moved to television. I think completely. it's now the CSI, the think, Bones, the Well, True Detective, Bones. I think is when was oh, the last I know time what Bones the hell. <laughs> and and what there. was the other Criminal Minds of yeah. the CSI, CSI. Uh, yeah. There's such, a million of those. Okay, that's just such a weird reference. I guess that is Columbo. like the more pop culture <laughs> yeah. or not pop culture, more All those mainstream. shows were trying to do a version yeah, yeah, of this. Yeah, 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 that's true. Why but do I think, you think even now though like like I mean, True Detective, I feel like, is the TV version of Seven. Oh, absolutely. But is, is True Detective even still going? Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. about to be a new season with Jodie Foster. Why do you think... Ooh. I know. I'm actually excited. Why do you think they have given up on on that genre for feature films? You think there, there's not an appetite well, for that? Well, let me, let me put this out to you. The Batman. The uh-huh. Batman was totally doing a seven yeah. rip for. Co- I mean, the the what you're talking about really is that the only movies we get now are superhero movies or right. comic book movies or IP. So that's I think the biggest reason. Yeah, but but its influence you can still see. Yeah, but you're proving the point of like you can't do that without giving it a very strong IP. Exactly. Why can't we have another seven that just exists? It's just there's no IP. There's no book. Yeah. There's no nothing. Hey, talk to that's, fucking. I feel like every type of movie. Yeah. Though. It's hard. I feel like everything is IP now. I think that there is about to be and is starting to be a little bit of a wave of I think that we might be, be seeing cool this back again. I think it would be cool to see some, like an independent yeah, yeah. filmmaker Please. coming onto the scene with something like that. Give you us know? some originality. People are breaking in. Original voices like are breaking in with horror, but it'd be cool to see, even though this is horror, it would be cool to someone break in with like a detective mm-hmm. story and try to find a way to revitalize that. Actually, a pretty, a pretty recent one that I think was a big seven knockoff was that movie, the little things with Denzel Washington and, and Rami Malek and, and Jared. Yeah. Lee. Uh, that was definitely doing a seven S kind oh, of thing. Prisoners was, was kind yeah. of oh, yeah. adjacent. Yeah. I mean, you see this influence on big directors. That's, um, that's Denny Villeneuve. That's Denny Villeneuve who did mm-hmm. that. I would say Christopher Nolan's insomnia is definitely doing his seven style. Yeah. Uh, Bong Joon-ho's memories of murder. 
big time. You can clearly see the influence of Seven on that movie. I mean, this movie immediately became hugely influential. That's crazy. Your first like big movie becoming such like a canon for other people. And it really establishes his style yeah. as a director. And you can see, you can feel that he comes from music videos because Was Trent Reznor used on this movie? Yes, he yeah. was. Well, well, Nine Inch Nails was. Yeah. He didn't yeah. do like a So did he, he formed a relationship with them from music videos and then actually i don't think fincher ever did a nine inch nails video that's crazy they were just i do think there is nine inch nails influence on this movie like i think the closer video had already come out the the cinematographer for that harris savides shot the credit sequence Mm -hmm. for this but he wasn't a big cinematographer he was just like a music video guy so i think fincher was looking at that and going like i kind of want my movie to look like these nine inch nails videos it feels to me like the primary influence on Seven from a movie standpoint would be Silence of the Lambs, which came out mm-hmm. like five years before. Howard Shore did the music for this movie. He also did the music for Silence of the Lambs. It's very similar style. Fucking love Shore. We talked about him on the Fly episode. I think the music in this movie is great. Again, yeah. big, bombastic, horn-driven, dark, gurgly stuff. It's great. Uh, but just in general, like the uh, the procedural nature the sort of like deadly serious way that they go about depicting the crimes is very similar to silence of the lambs and i would say that john doe owes a lot to hannibal lecter in terms of like that cool calm mm-hmm. zen like serial killer vibe it is interesting watching this movie now i do i think this movie fucking rocks i love it through and through but watching it this time was the first time i did feel at times, a little bit of a clash between the sort of like kind of hokey film noir script versus like what Fincher's doing with it aesthetically. Fitch, Fincher's ahead of the script. I yeah, think he is. for yeah. sure. Exactly. Like, I think he's doing his best to elevate it and transcend it. But at times, that sort of almost Frank Miller graphic novel yeah. tone mm-hmm. comes through a little hard. I think particularly in the beginning, it starts to find its way. And, and bother me less throughout the movie. And by well, the end, I'm like already... Once Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt are on the same page, then it works better. Yeah. The first half when it's like young cop and, and older yeah. grumpy cop, it's like it feels a little like, okay. Yeah, I'm certain if this movie was filmed in the 80s or filmed uh, in the 90s with any other director, it would have been... Oh, hokey. Yeah. Awful. I think yeah. this is a, a great example yeah. of like how it could go wrong. You can, You mm-hmm. can just see this... And I bet you if you read the script and you didn't have this movie in your mind, you could be like corny. Yeah, this is kind of corny or this feels a little overly stylized because some of the dialogue, particularly in the beginning, I felt like was a little comic booky. Well, also, I mean, honestly, the premise is kind of comic booky, like he's going to get every deadly sin. Yeah. And part of that is because this movie was so influential that we've now seen. Yeah. Yes. You hear it in the trailer, too. The tra- a trailer is always a good litmus test for how wrong something can go <laughs> yeah. in the yeah. wrong hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. In the, did you watch the commentary? Fincher, Freeman, yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah. That part in the commentary where he talks about how like marketing people always think they're yeah. going to fix yeah, your we'll film. Save, we'll save. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You did the best you could. Yeah. We'll take over. Well, people here. aren't going to like this, but we'll fix it. We'll make yeah. sure they get them in the theaters. It's like, what? And yeah, what you just said is the exact opposite of like. Yeah. They... Can we get the head any bigger <laughs> on the poster? <laughs> I'm shocked that there haven't been like spinoffs and sequels to this movie uh, as far as 
There's been like comic Don't books. Don't jinx it. I know. You might manifest yeah. eight. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or it, I could totally see them trying to turn this into a series. Yeah. I'm surprised series. it's not. A, that's what I would have thought, that this would have been a mm-hmm. miniseries yeah. already. Because even, even Manhunter got a, a series. You Mindhunter? Know? Manhunter. Manhunter? Oh, the, you mean yeah. the, the Hannibal? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Mindhunter, I, do, I think it's interesting that Dealing in the same subject matter, but I think a totally different approach to it. Because this is a stylized, sort of heightened, almost comic book-like story, whereas Mindhunter is totally grounded. And, and I think Fincher's even kind of gone on the record of saying that Mindhunter is a little bit of like a, an amendment to what he created with Seven, because he's like, you know, if you look at the records and these interviews and the psychological reports of most serial killers, they're not that exacting and methodical they're not really trying to prove a point it's mostly about like sexual repression and they all want to like fuck their moms and they hate women (laughs) and shit like that and it's like less about proving some sort of grand point like john doe does john doe obviously is not an accurate representation representation of um i don't know a serial serial killer killer. but i do like him as a shadow to detective somerset yeah, he, it, they mirror each other yeah. in a lot of ways. I agree. But one is they both almost come from the same belief system. Yes. currently. Yeah, but he's Don Doe is. I is think honestly, out. it's a great movie to wa- watch in the Trump era of of you know like the way that Bernie Sanders people mm-hmm. and Trump people yeah. do overlap in a lot of ways For and both sure. want feel like something is broken and want it to be fixed, but one is looking for somebody who is sane, rational, smart, and uh, uh, an amazing human being, and uh, Trump <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the other are, are looking at a crazy, uh, you know, right. uh, fascist, uh, authoritarian mm-hmm. uh, maniac. But uh, it's a very similar thing. They both have a view on the world that is ne- negative or nihilistic or yeah. hopeless or uh, their needs fixing, their needs salvation. Yeah. And one is is looking to escape and get out of it, and one is looking to you know punish punish. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Yeah, and th- on that point with this rewatch, I definitely felt a more um, just general hopeful theme to the movie than I kind of remembered and expected. I kind of always remembered this movie as being pretty nihilistic. I think coming out the end of it, I th- I think it's actually trying to say that there is some hope for humanity, or at least it's about a character who comes to believe that where do you uh you think by the end morgan freeman thinks there's hope for the future mm-hmm. I do. well the in the quote in the quote kind of leads on to that but where as a f- filmmaker yeah. where do you think the movie pr- earned that where did he have a switch and i and don't just say uh gwyneth paltrow warmed his heart like where did he uh, yeah find that i think it's change? in the bar scene I think it's in the scene between him and Brad Pitt mm -hmm. when Brad Pitt basically calls him on his apathy and says, like, you might be willing to give up on humanity, but I'm not. And I think and you can see him sort of sit there at the end of that scene and be like, fuck. And then that's when his whole that's when he throws the metronome across. He's like, he can't wait for time to tick away. I think that that in that scene, he is he is seeing he probably was like that when he was younger. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, but the city broke him down. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the job broke him down. Mm-hmm. What do you think Brad Pitt, what do you think is the truth of Brad Pitt's like philosophy there? Not just, yes, it's easy to say that when you're younger, but what's like the resonating meaning behind that? Well, I mean, I think he comes, it seems to me that Brad Pitt's character comes from like the um, 
He's riding off of like the the Dirty Harry, the sort of like movie star vibe of a cop. You know, he calls himself Serpico at the beginning of this movie. So I think he's like got this sort of glorified heroic vision of what cops do and what the, the service that they provide for the world. Whereas, you know, Morgan Freeman, I think, has lost all that. Yeah. Um, and do you think the roles are reversed by the end? Like now Brad Pitt is Morgan Freeman? In a way, I don't know, quite hard reverse, but I think... Brad Pitt, by the end of this movie, is probably feeling a little bit more like Morgan Freeman of just like... Well, his whole world's been taken from Exactly. His whole world gets shattered. But I also think that by the end... I mean, it's notable that Morgan Freeman is going to retire in seven days at the beginning of this movie. And by the end of the movie, he essentially says, I'm not going to retire. Yeah. He says, I'll be around. Yeah. Which is being hinted at throughout the whole movie whenever he's like, You're, you can't which is do also, it. You which can't is give it up. Which is sad. I mean, no, the, exactly. the, the movie has a lot... It's not just the head in the box. It's... Mm-hmm. um. It's so much more than that, yeah. you know, and he, he never got, I don't know. I do think he did want that retirement. I yeah. don't think he I wanted to escape this. The, shit. the chief was right that like, oh, you can't leave. Like, right. I think him not being able to leave was a, is a tragedy. It's his it a consequence yeah. of, yeah. But born out of, I think of a, a feeling of the world is worth fighting for. Yeah. Which goes back to the quote at the end of the movie, which is why I like the coda yeah. to me. It's, it's sort of like. You know, yeah, proving the theme of the film to me. If I was Brad Pitt, I would have turned that gun right on myself. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I would have been out of this world. Yeah, five bullets for him, one for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk more about seven. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome back to Cinema Possess, and we are talking seven. This is a New Line Cinema feature, which I think New Line Cinema was hitting in 1995. The mask. Is New Line still a thing? Yep, but it's acquired now by WB. You know, the library Morgan Freeman goes to was the bank in The Mask. The bank vault in The Mask. Yeah, that, I was impressed that that, set, that was a built set. Mm-hmm. Like, that was an actual, like, a standing library. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It made Very me cool. want to go to the library. Mm-hmm. New Line was the fucking best back then. Mortal Kombat was New Line. Minister Society. Seven. Dumb and Dumber. We've already covered uh, The Mask. We've covered a little bit, too. And then, obviously, Boogie Nights came mm-hmm. after this. New Line used to be the shit. I love New Line. The house that Freddie built. 
is what they called it because uh, their first big hit was Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow, <laughs> that's funny. And then it was later called the house that Frodo built after uh, <laughs> yeah the Lord of the Rings came out. Uh, so this movie opens on like a generic crime scene, murder suicide of a wife and family. There's kind of a cool line here where uh, the guy, one of the cops, says like it was a crime of passion, and then Morgan Freeman says, "Just look at all that passion on that wall." Which I thought was a cool line. But then this is kind of the stuff here in this opening thing where I was sort of feeling the bad film noir dialogue. Mm -hmm. He ends up like looking around and he sees a picture of a kid and he says, did the kid see it? And the cop beside him has, I think, the weirdest reaction. I hate that. He's like, what the fuck kind of question is that? Has nothing to do with us. You know, you're always asking these questions, Somerset. We're all going to be real glad when we get rid of you. And it's just sort of like, Overly, yeah, it felt yeah. so strange to me. It feels like weird henchman dialogue, mm-hmm. and I and that being like the first scene of the movie, I was a little bit like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah. is this movie going to be kind of like worse than I remembered it being? But I will say it softens on that a little bit. We learn in this opening sequence too that he's seven days out of retirement. He meets Brad Pitt, Detective Mills. They're kind of combative towards each other. Just get in town twenty minutes ago. They dumped me here. Look, um, Bill, I thought we might find a bar someplace, you know. Well, I'd like to get to the precinct. It's all the same. You know, not much time for this transition thing. I meant to ask you something when we spoke on the phone before. Yep. Why here? I don't follow. Well, all this after to get transferred. It's the first question that popped into my head. I guess the same reasons as you. The same reasons you had before you decided to quit, yeah? You, you just met me. Maybe I'm not understanding the question. Very simple. You actually fought to get reassigned here. I've just never seen it done that way before. I thought I could do some good. Look, it would be great for me if we didn't start out kicking each other in the ball. It's always raining in this unnamed city. So gross. So this movie was shot in Los Angeles. Yeah. And according to the, the the rumor about this, why it's raining, is it was done for like a practical necessity. They say it's because Brad Pitt only had a limited amount of shooting time because he had to go shoot 12 monkeys. And so they only, they had a finite number of days with him. And so they chose to have it raining all the time with rain machines just in case it rained in real life. They wouldn't have to like push the day or, or hmm, reschedule. That's interesting. I call I call 100% bullshit oh. on that. <laughs> 100% bullshit on that. This movie shot in LA. It rarely rains in Los Angeles. Yeah. So the idea of having to do such a drastic thing in order to like, just in case it rains is a weird thing. Two, Brad Pitt's in this entire movie. It's not like he had a week to shoot this part. That's he had true. a lot of time. They could have rescheduled things. Here's my theory on w- what I think really happened. You and I both know that whenever you tell a producer that you want a rain machine, the first thing out of their mouth is no. Yeah. Dude, that's too much trouble. It's too much work. It's messy. It's expensive. It slows things down. No producer in the history of movies wants you to have a rain machine for anything. <laughs> so I think what they did was, I think Fincher did imagine this movie to have rain all throughout it. And he came up with that excuse in order to convince the producers to let him have it. That is smart. In this day and age, do you feel weird about wasting that much water for rain? No. Because <laughs> it looks so good. I mean, you, you waste a lot of things. And I think we've, you know, we're not necessarily like so, 
starving for water anymore, right? We always are, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Worth, I, worth looking into. Yeah. Looks pretty cool. I mean, it looks incredible. It looks amazing. It, it, and it adds to the the hatred of the city. And I would say this movie does not look like Los Angeles to me. No. It yeah. does a really good like, job. I mean, it's funny that you said Batman, because to me, I was like, oh, this is like Gotham. Yeah, it looks East Coast. or Yeah. Yeah, it feels like New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like these scenes at the beginning, too, where we follow Morgan Freeman home. We see his little apartment. I really like the sound design. In these scenes, there's a number of scenes at the beginning where you just see Morgan Freeman's character kind of stop and listen to like the ambiance of the city. And it's like a lot of people, you can hear people fighting like in the other apartments. You hear kids like crying and screaming and stuff. I think it goes a really long way in putting you in his mindset of like, I'm surrounded by the toxicity of our city, of our city. Just move down. Mm -hmm. That's a baller (laughs) song. You got to admit. (laughs) Yeah. He gets into bed and he starts this metronome. And I think to me, this metronome is is the clock, you know, the, the countdown to retirement, the tick tock. I thought while it was happening, that would be the worst sound machine of all time. It would drive me insane. You like a white noise. I like a brown noise. Actually. Oh, that's right. You're a brown noiser. Do you do you use any? What's the difference? Um, lower it's a brown bit is, lower. is lower but end. do you know i told jack recently the whole the only reason that i do brown noise instead of white noise is because that movie white noise that came out when we were kids mm-hmm. like uh freaking implanted in my brain of like ghosts will talk to you in white noise yeah. and it for the idea of that truly haunts Ooh. me to my soul so i will not listen well, to white somebody's noise. gotta make a brown noise horror movie. <laughs> hey that's a good idea that for you too. yeah brown noise it's just yeah. a bunch of farting sounds yeah <laughs> there was that God. south park joke that the brown the brown note is like a note that can a musical note that can be hit that makes you shit your pants oh yeah uh-huh it's, like, it's real <laughs> and then we get a great opening credit sequence i think this is one of the classic all-timer opening credit sequences Again, copied a thousand million times on yeah. a thousand million things. Fifty thousand dollars to make that. Damn. The, bu- the budget. Oh, really? Fincher said. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was all done in this guy's like house, basically on a table. The director of the credit sequence is Kyle Cooper, and he, I looked him up on IMDb, and this dude is responsible for all the best fucking credit sequences of the '90s. He did True Lies. He did Dead Presidents with all that burning money. He did Twister, Mission Impossible, Eraser, Wolf, The Mummy. He did them all. Spawn. Do you think, was this a time in which every movie was doing this? Or do you think Fincher's music video background made him be like, we got to put, give it a little music. It was certainly more common to have an opening credit sequence in the 90s. I think it started to become hip to just forego it in the 2000s. And now it's like a total crapshoot whether you're going to get an opening credit sequence. Now the the thing is, is to put them at the end of the movie. The movie ends and you get like a stupid animated sequence, no matter what fucking movie, what genre, you're getting a weird like computer animated title sequence at the end of it. But you don't get anything really at the beginning oftentimes. Yeah, Barbie's ending felt like an opening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I get why. I mean, it's like that you watch the movie seeing all the different dolls, but not being familiar with the actual history. Right. And then when you see the the real, you know that they're real when you're watching it, but then seeing the actual dolls I do think got a bigger laugh than if they had put it at the top of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Barbie has its own little opening credit sequence. I think Barbie and Seven are very, uh, they're actually mirrors of one another because Barbie lives in the Morgan, the world that Morgan Uh, Morgan Freeman Freeman wants. wants. Mm. Barbie retired, went to Barbie land, (laughs) and then she has to leave to go to the Seven land. 
You know? you know what Barbie also reminded me too? Barbie is like the same thematic story as Terminator 2. It's about an artificial thing becoming more human. Your guys' brains were made for early 2000s funny or die. You're constantly putting smashing movies together to make like <laughs> these two things came together. Yeah. The Bobinator. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, amazing sequence. And Nine Inch Nails uh, remix to Closer opens that. I had this remix too on a CD, a little CD single called Closer to God that was like a bunch of remixes of it. Yeah. I pretty much bought any Nine Inch Nails CD I saw. I had another one called Further Down the Spiral. I had the Perfect Drug remixes. I just didn't care what was on them. I'd just buy them if I saw them. <laughs> I loved them. So then we get our first kill, Monday. Crime. They go into this house and there's a obese man at a table. Ugh, this is the worst one. Dead with his face in a bowl of spaghetti, hands and feet tied mm -hmm. together, cans of fucking tomato soup everywhere. Really Co gross place. Cockroaches. Cockroaches. The vibes. Veins, veins all over mm -hmm. the body. The vibes are good in Real this. Real actor, too. Yeah, in prosthetics. Yeah, 10 hours of makeup, 10 hours on set. Rob wow. Bottin. Rob Bottin did the special effects makeup for this movie. Our boy, we talked about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, he did the makeup for recently for Fear and Loathing. He did the he did the uh, the lizard people. Yeah, but he's also did the thing. Edible. He's amazing. Um, and yeah, this is this is a really spooky. Yeah. one of the most memorable of the kills. His head was actually in the spaghetti, and he had like a scuba thing <gasps> out of the spaghetti so he could breathe. Ew! Air God no. And I love the detail too of like when he's running like a little comb through his hair and he can see, you can see the little circular indention of like the gun barrel on the back uh, of his head. Yeah. And, and that's you know, kind of how they does know. does a million shots. That poor man was yeah. probably just well, drowning they, they in said tomatoes. That they were using real tomato sauce. So the set fucking reeked. Ugh. Yeah. Cause it started to kind of like, rot. It's making me question our career in horror. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to work on a stinky set. Well, it makes you realize like, you know, how many times have we asked a set to be dressed to look scary and filthy and then we're sort of like i guess this works you see how much it takes to actually make stuff like that show up on camera like yeah, it's, it's not just like a layer of paint to <laughs> yeah. make it look aged like they really fucking gross if you're this not place gagging out. when you're walking on a set <laughs> then you did something wrong. yeah and they had the in the commentary they were like it was legitimately fucking gross in here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like somebody came and visited set that one day and they yeah. were like we're not coming back anymore right <laughs> Uh, I think also spaghetti is a good one, but if you're going to get force fed for 12 hours until your fucking stomach explodes, I think rice would do it for me because I can only eat like five rolls of sushi before that rice starts to expand in my stomach. And yeah. I'm like in serious you're pain. Insane. I could eat it for days. Mm. I mean, it, I love rice. It sneaks up on you, though. But it, it expands in your stomach. Yeah. And we find out later that like part of the reason why he died is that uh, he passed out and then John Doe kicked him in the stomach and that's yeah, what causes his stomach to burst. I think that's why a lot of people get a stomach ache after they eat sushi is because, you know, they're like, oh, you know, that's not enough food. It's like so little. And then they mm -hmm. eat, they order more without giving their stomach time to settle. Yeah, and then, sure. Yeah. Then they explode. Have you ever eaten plastic on accident? Like, have you ever been like, oh shit, I swallowed plastic? I just heard a crazy story about somebody, a girl I was riding the plane back with, this actually happened to her friend. I won't say the restaurant even though it is closed now, but I still won't. But her friend, they were um, went to brunch. This is in West Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Took a bite of a piece of toast, like an avocado toast, 
and pulled out, was like, what the fuck? And pulled out a piece of glass out of his mouth. His whole tongue was cut up, bleeding, bleeding. Oh, that's a fear of mine. Oh, okay. Bleeding tongue. They like called, the waiter was like mortified, but the manager was like, you probably put that glass there. Like Shut tried to say it to him. Up. And they were like, whatever, only took his toast off of the... Bill? The bill. That was it. And he was like freaked out. And he was like, I don't, I don't think I ate any of it. Later that day, starts getting a really bad stomach ache, has to go to the hospital, had to be in the hospital for three days. They removed glass from his stomach. This fully could have killed him. He did get a bunch of money. Not as much money as you would think, like 50 grand is a what gift he got. Card. Yeah, I know. 50 but he like did gift. end up like suing them and like they proved that there was like glass in his stomach. What, what you have to say the name of this. Yeah, place. where was it? John Doe's on third? I can't <laughs> say the name of it. I'm scared. I'll tell <laughs> you guys off the pod because I we'll can't. We'll just say it now and Jack will cut it. You out. have to cut it. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. You should leave our reactions in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll bleep it. Yeah, bleep out what Corey said. <laughs> yeah. You That's can't wild. leave it in. I don't want to get in trouble. But if you're a friend of mine and you want to know, I'll tell you. <laughs> mm. Well, subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll drop it on the Patreon. Uh, they end up finding the word gluttony written behind the fridge in Greece. Um, well, so so Morgan Freeman finds it because of the plastic in his stomach. Yeah, they, the autopsy shows he had shards of plastic in his stomach. So obviously stomach. when he moved the fridge... It, the bottom of the fridge scraped like the little linoleum Yeah, that did it. That was and a little I guess bit of, was like, fed hmm, it to this is a good- I'll toss some of that in there. Yeah, come, that, on. come on. That's, that's again, the beginning of this movie feels a little like, okay. There's uh, a little bit of a contrivance here because ultimately what we end up learning is that John Doe wants them to kind yeah. of start to solve this. They want them yeah. to see the pattern. So then that begs the question, why, why is he did, hiding it? Why so did he hide well? it behind a refrigerator? You know, like was he? It couldn't be his grandmaster That's plan. That's risky. What if they didn't find exactly. the plastic? Exactly. It feels. It feels sort of like you should have just written it big on the wall. So that then the next crime yeah. scene, he writes it big on the wall in the other crimes. But that's not <laughs> clever enough. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun reveal. Yeah. But sure, sure. Tuesday, we get our second crime. Breathe. My, my second favorite day for a murder. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's not going to be Monday, let's yeah. do Tuesday. I like and if Tuesday not Tuesday, then if, if, Wednesday. If you don't, some things are closed on the weekend. That's true. You need to buy mm-hmm, uh, trash mm-hmm. bags or something. It's nice to oh, have yeah. Monday for last minute things you forgot. <laughs> Murder and so, serial killing is a weekday activity for yeah. sure. You don't want to wait yeah. till the weekend to do that. You're going to be out of options. Mm-hmm. And do it early. You know, make your crimes yeah, early well, in the morning. Everyone's at work. Yeah. Right? Do it when you're sleep, spry. So. Uh-huh. Uh, so this one is like a murder of a high-profile defense attorney, a guy who's known to only defend criminals. Uh-huh. Uh, they find him in his apartment with his stomach all mutilated. He's sort of like hunched over the scale, and a pound of his flesh is <laughs> on the scale. That's and- gross when, it was, when Brad Pitt's like, or wh- whoever, maybe it was Morgan Freeman's like, which piece would you have hack first? Like, Yeah, it's a great question. Which piece would you? I, would, I think the love handles is actually a pretty solid spot. I don't think somebody could make me... Do that. You don't have anything that you could hack. <laughs> Thank you. I was fishing. I was fishing for compliments. Well, you don't know what he's working with in those pants. Oh, oh God. Uh, I got a pound of something. <laughs> I'm circumcised, so I'm fucked. The, um, <laughs> please keep going. It does say, though, there's, a, there's an interesting line of dialogue where they said that, um, the chair that he was sitting in, the victim, was like soaked through with sweat. Yeah. So like he, yeah. had, he had a gun to Ugh. him and he forced him to do it. Cut off his own flesh until he got a pound, which is a Shakespeare reference, pound of flesh. And, you know, it's written greed and blood on the carpet. 
There's some of these crimes aren't super memorable. I will say they right. kind of skip over a few of them. Well, because this one's not Russian. The, yeah, once this he starts one, Russian. Yeah, this one's memorable. I mean, it is memorable, but the whole painting thing, mm-hmm. the flipped upside painting, and yeah. all of that. I don't know about that. Yeah, this part of the movie is still where it's sort of in like cop movie territory, uh-huh. where it's like it's a little bit more about the investigation. I think it's well paced overall. Like I think the slow paced nature of this movie works to its advantage of being extra creepy because I think by the time you get to sloth you're really primed to be scared I have a question once we get to sloth uh Richard Roundtree plays the district attorney in this that's shaft for people who 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 might recognize that name I like that people like Richard Roundtree and Arlie Ermey are put in this movie because it kind of feels like Fincher tipping his hat to like Shaft is tipping his hat to like black exploitation, and Arlie Ermey is sort of like his Kubrick nod. And yeah, Somerset sees greed on the floor. He thinks about the gluttony in the in the fat man's place, and he realizes this is a pattern. And there's a great scene where he sort of presents this to the chief of police, Arlie Ermey, and Brad Pitt. He says, "There are seven deadly sins: gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. We have five more of these. What's up with sloth? Why is that a sin?" Not necessarily why is it a sin. Why the word sloth? Like Because lazy. Glutton well, yeah, why isn't it like laziness? Gluttony, greed, wrath, pride, lust, envy. And to me, I sloth is like a noun to me. It's like what you call somebody, like you're a sloth. Sl- to me, it's not the same kind of word You'd as have like to ask the writers of the Bible, Jack. Yeah. We don't know. Talk to God. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like it should be like fucking laziness or sack something. of shit. Yeah. <laughs> What's the deal with pride? Why aren't we supposed we to can't have be pride proud? in our work? And- I will say too, there's a lot of overlap between them too. Like yeah. pride and greed kind of feel like they go along with each other. Mm-hmm. Gluttony also feels like greed. You know, they're not super distinct. They all kind of bleed in. And with any one of these victims, you could sort of accuse them of. Sure. You could accuse the gluttony guy of being greedy. I don't know. Greedy because he wants to eat a bunch of food? Greedy for that skeety. Spaghetti? Oh, good. (laughs) Greedy for spaghetti. Are you ready? Now that you're back, Justin Jack's really trying to get his little joke to impress you. When Kevin Spacey is like at the end of the movie, are you joking? Only in a world this uh, fucked up, fucked up, can you say that with a straight face? And he's like, a man so obese that you would vomit just looking at him, or you would shit, you would like tell your friends so you could share and mocking him. No, you wouldn't. (laughs) First of all, he wasn't that. I know he's obese. I mean, he's pretty obese. He's obese, but it's like. I don't know. I don't think you would no. vomit yeah. looking at him. Yeah. We talked about this library sequence. I'll just say the one thing I like about this library sequence is I appreciate that he's not just doing investigations for himself. He's at, it, it, The ultimate reveal of this library sequence is that he's helping Mills. He's yeah. like making Xeroxes and gathering clues so that Mi- he puts it in an envelope and writes Mills on it. It's sort of like, oh. The funniest part, he wants though, is help. that Mills then Cliff notes all of them. Yeah. Yes. He I was like, relatable, relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they realize that like Dante's Inferno and Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and the Divine Comedy, that's all sort of like the inspiration for this stuff. And so that's what he's putting together. But Brad Pitt's character can't understand any of it. So he needs Cliff's notes. Did you do Cliff notes when you were in high school? Yes. Barnes and Noble, when I discovered Spark Notes, because it was Spark Notes, not yeah. Cliff Notes for me at least. When I discovered that, in later in high school and early college, like for when we would have to read things like what's the Beowulf or whatever. I mean, I had to read, we had to read Canterbury Tales. Yeah. I spark noted all that shit. You know what it did? 
gave me a freaking A on all my yeah. stuff. They, I think I they first, got the good stuff in those. I first yeah. used them in college. I didn't use them in high school at all. Yeah. But it was probably because I just kind of didn't realize they were an option for me. Didn't know where to get them. I think it's nice in supplement with actually reading. I agree. Yeah. I actually really like... I mean, these days we have like Wikipedia, so yeah. we barely even need... But like Shakespeare and stuff, <laughs> they had they have all these... It's got to be by the same people, Sparknotes or Cliff Notes, something, but where it will have the like on one page, the actual like Shakespearean writing. And then on the other page, it's like in layman's terms. And I don't know how I would feel about it now, but when I was early studying Shakespeare, it really helped me. I was like, oh, I understand this completely. I think there's a hole in the market for spark notes for horror movies, you know? Too afraid, too chicken shit to watch a horror oh, movie. Oh my wanna, God, honestly. Want to talk about it with all your friends? That's yeah. me. Jack is my spark notes for yeah. horror movies. There was a guy <laughs> that, uh, I, again, I'm like, do I want to admit this on the pod? But who thought he was like such a movie buff and would like try and like, prove I wasn't or something and Jack movies that I found scary I would have him tell me all of the things and Antichrist was one of those movies I've never seen it but I've had Jack describe it beat for beat for me and the guy was like trying to prove I hadn't seen it and then I don't even know what I said but I was like this this and this and he was like oh okay well I guess you have seen it and I was like yeah bitch I have (laughs) would you watch it now for the pod? For the pod? Yeah, probably for the pod. But that this, those scenes are... I mean, I wouldn't have watched Midsommar or Hereditary for a really long... Or I didn't for a really long time because the way Jack described it to scare me so much. So maybe I could with Antichrist, but ugh. Antichrist I, is a little bit more of an endurance And death. it's like brutal. I pretty, don't know if I want to watch brutal, brutal yeah. stuff. A lot of genital mutilation. That Yeah. Both male and female. No, thanks. Interesting stuff about Brad Pitt's character, too. You notice in this Cliff Notes scene that as he's reading it, he can't understand it. And he calls Chaucer the F word, the F slur. Yeah, he's homophobic. And then time. later on in the movie, when they meet the FBI people for the library information, there's, he's sitting next to Somerset and he's like, why do we have to sit next to each other? People might think we're gay. Yeah. So and, and there was a cut line, too. Yes. So that that's what I thought was interesting. Watching the movie, I was like, oh, it's, he's kind of homophobic, which feels real you know it doesn't feel but it it was interesting to hear them talk about in the commentary that that was a very intentional choice on their part because they wanted him to feel like a a bro yeah well but specifically like a guy who's like came from a smaller world uh, yeah like a frat guy small town cop who would be homophobic and yeah they had a line in the scene where somerset comes over to the house to have dinner there was this, there was a part where he takes his jacket off and a piece of wallpaper falls out of his pocket because another thing that's been cut from the movie is that after his retirement he's going to move into like his dream home outside of the city and he's been picking out wallpaper. So the wallpaper falls onto the ground and Gwyneth Paltrow's character picks it up and goes, "What is this?" and he's like, "Oh, it's nothing. It's just some wallpaper." And she had a line that said, "If David saw it, he would call you the f word." And the studio was Ugh. like. The studio was like, that's going to make people feel uncomfortable. We should take that line out. But Fincher and Brad Pitt were like, we thought it was a real character thing for him. Like, we we wanted you to feel uncomfortable by this guy because we wanted to, we felt like it was more realistic to the character that he would think that way. Yeah, well, we got it already. Yeah, we yeah. don't need to. Don't need I just think it's inter- times hammered over our heads. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing that you don't find as much these days where back in the 90s and, and definitely in the 70s and earlier, people were sort of, sort of more willing to push characters into places that would be deemed problematic or uncomfortable whereas nowadays yeah, but i also 
also feel like back then people didn't consider this as problematic. Exactly. It's because we had a different relationship yeah. to those kinds of things. I, I appreciate how deep they're going in like character thought about that kind of stuff. The I really like the scene where she invites uh, Somerset over for dinner. I think this is a good, I, I think it is important for getting Somerset to care. I think Absolutely. up until this scene, he's looking to bail on this case. He's looking to get out of this place as, as soon as possible. And I think it's because of this scene, meeting Brad Pitt's wife, and getting to spend this this night with him that he starts to change his mind and he's like, I'm gonna actually like help him solve this case. She's so sweet. She's so mm -hmm. cute. Yeah, she's really good. They were dating at this time, uh, Brad Pitt and Gwen Perfect couple. couple. Yeah. Good couple. Uh, stunning. And I wanna say this was her first movie because right after this she did um Heart Eight for Paul Thomas Anderson. She's also really good in that. Uh, but I think this may have been her first thing. Hmm. I didn't double check that, so I could be pre wrong. a pre goop Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, <laughs> ungoopified. Ungoopified. Uh, I really like the stuff with the wine when Mills pours Somerset another glass of wine. He literally in a like tumbler fills up yeah, a yeah, tumbler. Yeah, it's like a whole bottle of wine. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? There's one moment too where, like, when the house starts shaking again, that's when Morgan Freeman picks up the glass yeah. so it doesn't spill, and then notices. That's when he that clocks he it. Yeah. Put it. <laughs> Yeah, so his, funny. his expression is so funny. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So they end up finding a hidden message at the greed crime scene. It's the word help me written behind this painting. Help me for my inside. Uh, I have this book called Mind Games about David Fincher written by Adam Naiman. He thinks that's a callback to The Exorcist. Because remember in The Exorcist when they mm. raise Reagan's shirt and help me is It is probably like is. Written cool. in, the, in the stomach. Uh, and I like too that it's like it's it's not the victim saying, help me. It's John Doe asking for Mills help. and Somerset, yeah. like, help me with my master plan. Yeah. I don't need help, but I need help finishing this. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I need you guys to do yeah. this with me. And so the, the, the word is written in fingerprints. And so they assume these, must, these might be John Doe's fingerprints. So they run the scan. Amateurs. And they, they end up getting this guy who is like a pedophile drug dealer. And they're like, okay, this sounds like it could be our boy. But also too, cute scene of them falling asleep. Yes. Together. I know. Yes, they're waiting like. for the fingerprints to scan and they're yeah. sitting down in the hallway. Good shot too, just like yeah, wide iconic. shot, see them both. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's cute because they wake up the next morning and Brad Pitt's like sleeping on Morgan yeah. Freeman. This is a buddy bromance movie yeah. at yeah. its core. It does all the things that you want from like a buddy cop movie, but told in a very different way than normal. So yeah, they, they find this guy. They figure out where he lives. They call in the SWAT team. Our fucking boy. John C. McGinley is the head of the SWAT team. He gets his own credit too at the in the opening credit sequence. It's really funny in the commentary. They, they when John McGinley pops up, Brad Pitt says, "McGinley, he was amped." And then David Fincher, uh. David Fincher said, "He is amped." Yeah, you just know he took this oh. part so seriously. Yep. All the other SWAT team members are actual SWAT team guys, so I think he's yep. the only actor in the bunch. I did think it was a little weird when uh, they are waiting for SWAT to enter, and they're just waiting around the corner, and a guy comes running around the back with uh, a ram and <laughs> has to say to them, SWAT before dicks. Like, what? Why was that necessary? And why were you lagging behind? Were you like <laughs> shuffling to get that out of the yeah. trunk? And I, I feel like it was only there so that when John C. McGinley screams, Dex, I love we it. knew. Yeah. Oh, yeah, detectives. Dex, Dex, yeah. Dex, Dex. This sequence is awesome, though. This was like the sequence. This is, I think, the, the jump scare 
of the movie. Yeah, it got me. Great build up. They break into this apartment. It's really fucked up and nasty. But then there's air fresheners, like hundreds of them hanging to prevent the smell. And they break into this bedroom and there's like a sheet covering a person's body on the bed. They pull it off. The reveal of this guy is horrifying looking, but he looks dead. Like you just assume it's a corpse. And even John C. McGinley is like, what the fuck is this? Some sort of wax statue or something? They immediately start kind of looking at the room. Like they find pictures of this man and they see that this man has been chained to this bed for an entire year. And a picture has been taken of him every single day. Uh, there's like urine samples and blood work. He's connected to an IV. And yeah, John C. McGinley bends down into his face and goes like, you got what you deserved. <laughs> and this guy wakes up and starts flailing and gasping for air. Truly scary. I remember this being the scariest part in the movie when I saw it as a kid. Okay, so I heard something about him in this scene. And What'd I don't know if it's true. Huh. So this was this is sloth. This is sloth, yeah. Which also a question, why is this sloth? Because he's lazy. But he's... He's a shut-in. He doesn't leave the house. But, but I he thought is a he drug was dealer like a drug a dealer and a pedophile. So he's got to be leaving the house to do those At things. some point he did that. Maybe. Yeah. There, this, is, does, again, this one was confusing yeah. Again, this is where there's a little confusion. He forces him. Artistic license. He forces him to be a Yes, he forces him to be a So we come well, in on this gross-ass guy tied to a bed. He's got like bed sores all over him. Gross, 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 gross. You think he's dead. Surprise attack, he's not dead. Yes. What I read, and is this true or is this wives' tale, that they didn't tell any of the actors that that was going to happen and that McGinley's reaction to him going, ah, and like waking up was like a true, was a true reaction. Be, and I they didn't know it. that that was going to happen. I read that happen. true. I find it hard to believe. I mean, mm. to, to- Yeah, me too. To be like, okay, there was there a puppet there at one point that they're acting with for for twenty five. Oh, so yeah, they didn't even know he was that's a guy. What, that's what the the lore is. They didn't even know he was a real man. Correct in yeah. the bed, which is impressive because this. So apparently they got like a ninety pound man who auditioned for it. He was like known for playing like skeletons and stuff. Yeah, and then Fincher sort of jokingly said, um, "Could you lose some more weight?" And he, according to Fincher, he was like, it was just a joke. But then he said the next time he saw the guy, he was like, I did. And he lost six more pounds. Oh, my God. And so it's kind of a partial. He's really skinny. He's laying there. But then part of his body is prosthetic because his hand is cut off. Yeah. What's cool, too, Rob Bottin put uh, large, oversized teeth in his mouth to make his head seem smaller. Smart. Those are the kinds of like smart little details I like about makeup artists. Mm -hmm. Like they're always. They're magicians. They're magicians. They're real magicians. Yeah, and Rob Bottin is one of the, the the masters. And interesting that he's not dead. Like, John Doe didn't actually kill this guy, although it is said in the next scene that... His brain is mush. Yeah, the, he he's like, is there any chance this guy survived? And he's like, dude, if you shined a flashlight in this dude's face, he would die of shock. <laughs> yeah. And even he, if his brain... <laughs> he still has hell to look forward yeah. to. The doctor's funny. He goes, I mean, even if his brain weren't mush, which it is, he yeah. chewed his tongue off long ago. <laughs> Yeah, that it, performance is amazing. He's experienced about as much pain and suffering as anyone I've encountered, give or take, and he still has hell to look forward to. Yeah, it Pretty reminds solid. me of um, it's it's unsettling and like chilling in the way that that uh, Gary Oldman character in Hannibal, yeah. who was like survived uh, being, and he's got the Grinch voice, yeah, because his face has been chewed off by pig. Yeah, it's horrifying to imagine like what what would it feel like to be in that? I can show you state. I'll show you. How? I'll chain you to a bed. Yeah. I'll hook you up to an IV. I'll give you antibiotics so that your bed sores don't kill you. And uh, you can chew off your own tongue. Okay. Um. <laughs> My real name is John. 
<laughs> John Doe. True. There we go. Um, so then we get a pretty good scene, too, with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Morgan Freeman. I got to say, this scene kind of got me. Like, it almost made me tear up a little bit. So she's, she confesses to him that she hates the city, too. Uh, she talks about how she's been looking at schools and they're all fucking terrible, which is a pretty relatable thing to hear. And she admits to him, she confesses that she's pregnant, but she hasn't told Brad Pitt. So he he admits that he had a relationship yeah. where they got pregnant and he convinced said, her. He said that the, the day after he found out that his girlfriend was pregnant was the first day that he felt true fear. And he started to really realize that this was not a place that any child should grow up in. And he whittled her down until he convinced her to get to terminate it. And he says... I know I'm positive I made the right decision, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't wish I made a different choice. And then he sa- he tells her, if you choose not to keep it, don't ever tell him you are pregnant. But if you keep it, you spoil that kid every chance you get. And that's, know, but that- that's when she cries. And it made me tear up. Was she asking for his advice on abortion I or don't on think leaving so. the city? I think I, she has no friends and she needs to tell somebody. I know, but I thought the whole time I was like, Morgan Freeman, not the time or the place. Yeah, he's, she's not asking that. She's yeah. saying, I oh, don't yeah. like this city. <laughs> well, he's getting to his point. I also feel like she, she. I like her emotional reaction, but I feel like she like cries at the wrong point. Uh-huh. I want no. her to make that face when he says, don't. Like, if you decide not to keep it, then don't. But it works. This is what almost got me. Yeah, it just felt reversed to me. What, like, why is like, spoil that? Also, she, one, she didn't ask about that. And two, yeah, I agree. I'm on the same page as you, Justin. It did feel a little strange to me. Beautiful scene. And I think Paltrow is the emotion of the scene. She kills it. She does a great job. Yeah, yeah, she definitely. Fincher does. should have been like, "Why don't we try reversing?" This? But isn't it isn't it kind of nicer that I she mean, cries I see on why the sweet she's line? Crying on the sweet line, I do, as opposed to the sad line. I guess uh, it's the spoil yeah, line it's that is what. Advi- yeah, it's horrible advice. What we should be spoiling. I our wish children it was every love. If you're something. if you're going to raise, I think the if you're going to raise your kid spoil. in hell, then spoil them. So they can become a psychopath. But we, yeah, we all live in hell. <laughs> well, I think this movie is specifically saying this city is hell. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily the world is hell, but maybe it's kind of but supposed to be a since microcosm. Since 1995, the world has become yeah, hell. Yeah, things have gotten rough. Things have gotten rough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they end up using, they end up getting the idea to use the uh, FBI's illegal monitoring of the library system. Uh, legal and illegal doesn't apply. Yeah. And they basically track down anybody who's read a bunch, who's like rented out the Chaucer. I think all this stuff is legal now because of the Patriot Act. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, I was I mean, curious if it, if it, if this is like a true thing or not. Yeah, it's like the all the stuff that Edward Snowden revealed with the NSA. Mm. And, all that. Mm-hmm. and they, through that, they end up finding um, the apartment of a man named John Doe. They go to it, but they don't have, because they did this illegally, they don't have a warrant. I like that Brad Pitt doesn't like that they're doing this either. Brad Pitt doesn't like that they're doing an illegal thing. He doesn't like that they're going there without a warrant. He's kind of being the smart one in this situation. He surely switches pretty quickly. He does though. switch it pretty quickly. This is a fucking great sequence because they knock on this guy's door. Nobody answers. And then all of a sudden this guy appears down the hallway holding a grocery bag. And when they turn and look at this guy, he does this cool thing where he's like, I'm just reaching in my pocket for my keys. Mm-hmm. Fires at them. It's scary and good. It is. And then the, this chase is fucking awesome. Goes through this apartment building. Ugh. They jump through windows. They go through apartments. They do all this stuff. It's really cool. And they end up going out into traffic. And there's these shots of Brad Pitt like jumping on the hoods of cars and like sliding off of them and stuff. And you said Brad Pitt really broke his arm on this. Didn't just break his arm. Brad Pitt slipped 
and his ass went through the front of a car windshield. Ugh, and he was like full body chills. Stuck in the windshield of a car, but like he had a wetsuit on underneath, and so his body was protected. But when he reached down to pull himself out of the the window, he didn't even realize it when he did it, but he, he the broken glass like sliced into his palm ah, of his hand. Slit to the bone. Yeah. Good, good, good. Cut a tendon. And he, so he did the rest of the scene, and then only after the, they called cut did he realize his hand was bleeding. Yeah, he showed Fincher, and he said it was the first time he ever saw him turn green. Yeah. He was like, Fincher was like, I could see his bone. Uh. Yeah, cut him deep and cut a tendon, and so he had to be rushed to the hospital, and they had to put him in a cast. Yeah, and- so they worked the cast into scenes in the movie that they hadn't yet shot but take place before. Mm-hmm. So he's like hiding a cast for a, a uh. few scenes, and, and he's doing a lot of like acting with one hand but not with the other uh, hand. Yeah, there's like a specific scene at the beginning of the movie where you can see that Brad Pitt's hand is purple. Yeah. And they said that they were doing everything they could to put makeup on it to try because the cast was hidden beneath his coat and it was cutting off the circulation to his oh, hand. Shit. So in the scene, he's got like one regular hand and one purple <laughs> hand and they couldn't not make the it purple. The cast was on too tight. But yeah, this is an awesome fucking sequence and this feels like, uh, really feels like film noir because he's in this overcoat and this hat and they're using shadows to like mask his face yeah that's awesome love the shot when he he one-ups brad pitt he hits him in the head with this crowbar and then he's standing over him with the gun mm-hmm. pointing at him it's this low angle and he's like out of focus really it looks like it's out of a uh a, a, like sin city like a graphic novel do you think really he cool. was actually intending to shoot him blow nope. his brains out nope i think he knows he he needs yeah him. He, it's his master plan. yeah he can't ruin <laughs> yeah but it, it was it threw him off him. this was not part of the plan right this wasn't intended also, too, before we move forward, because they go back into the apartment, they discover something about the identity of the, of the killer. That's true. The staircase scene. Yeah, early on in the, um, which kill is that? The, oh, Sloth. In the Sloth kill, yeah. they're standing out talking in the in the hallway and a, a, a paparazzi guy takes a picture of them. Mm-hmm. I meant to go back and, and look at that because I didn't gets see me. it. Yeah, it, it got always, me. I always forget. It's tricky because you see just enough of him. He's got hair in that scene, Yeah, too. wig. Well, I don't know. Maybe he shaves his head after that. Maybe it is just like his real hair. And then Brad Pitt starts kind of going after him and he throws his arms in front of his face to like protect himself. And so that's, you don't ever get a clear shot of his face. And he's going like, I yeah. got rights, man. I could take, I got your picture, man. <laughs> if you go back and watch it, you can hear it's Kevin Spacey. I want to like go that. back and watch yeah. it. Well, you could pause, if you pause it too, you could see his face. You can face. see his face. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but they don't know it. And so yeah, they end up breaking into the apartment they don't have a warrant for it but they end up paying off like some uh bums on the road to say that like they called it in you know and yeah his apartment is fucking gnarly looking scary and there's a a giant red neon cross which i when i think about this movie and i think about john doe the killer and these killings i weirdly kind of don't associate it with christianity in a weird way, even though it totally is. You know, the seven deadly sins are a biblical thing. Yeah. And he is essentially like a religious fanatic, but I kind of don't ever think of him that way, mm-hmm. but he is. Yeah. And maybe that's to the movie's credit. Well, he does say at the end, the Lord works in mysterious exactly. ways. Exactly. He, he is a Christian yeah. killer, but uh, it, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily like come off as like a religious mm-hmm. serial yeah. killing movie. But yes. And yeah, they end up finding... The photographs that he took of them as that paparazzi guy, and he's been he's toying with us. This is a game. Also, too, if, uh, the when the phone is like ringing and Mills is looking for it, I like that scene. But then he starts like 
ripping the telephone cord to find yeah. the phone be like i would just follow the cord yeah. why are you <laughs> ripping it off the wall he's so frantic and yeah the cast in that scene is his real cast it's the cast he came back yeah. with from the hospital uh there's composition notebooks thousands of them all with his little scribbled writing and you know this was a fucking nightmare for the props department uh, yeah. because you know Fincher was like, I would love for you to actually make these thousands of notebooks because, and they even said in the in the making of the title sequence that that was like all pulled from the stuff that they had made from his apartment. The guy just went and pulled props out and was shooting all that stuff. And you yeah. get to see close-ups. I, I mean, I'm sure there were a few dud notebooks in there. Maybe. maybe. Do you know the story about the the diary from John Carpenter's The Fog? Yeah. There's a shot in the fog where they open up a diary from this priest and there's like all this like years of scribbling and handwriting on there. And if you like pause the movie, you can see that the the props guy wrote like, I can't believe my whole fucking college education is going to making this <laughs> stupid movie prop. And he's like, I'm horny. I wish there was nudity in this yeah. movie. <laughs> That's hilarious. My mom worked um, at this like RV camp thing this past halloween she was like helping with the building a haunted house yes right? for like the kids and stuff like that and so she was like in charge of helping build the haunted house and so the haunted house theme was like an insane asylum was like the hallways and so she had to make the paper for it and she was like she was just so cute like writing all the things that she would send me pictures she was like i was just trying to think of anything scary i could think of Corey. it's disturbing the things that i wrote and the things are like so funny they're like i can hear him now he's coming or what was some of the mommy i want to go out and play yeah she wrote things like <laughs> mommy daddy i want to go out and play and she had written like a million times like on just like craft let's, paper let's to, play like, murder <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. All work and no play makes best. Yeah. She did write that. Really? That is one of the things that mm -hmm. she wrote. <laughs> Your mom has a sinister side. She does. She loves Stephen King. Uh, the next kill is lust. This is maybe, this is the most fucked up. This is one probably the most fucked up one. And I I like too that you don't see anything in this one really. Like this. Yeah, this glad. is this is Fincher using some restraint. And this sequence is crazy because they have to go through the sex club dungeon. It feels almost like it's maybe an inspiration for Irreversible, which came out a few years after this. Because um, it feels like the rectum, you know, it's like dark and the music is pounding and you're doing this long steady cam push in through it to find this room and you don't see anything. All you see is lust written on the wall. You see that there's maybe somebody in a bed that's dead. And then you see Leela Norser there covered in a sheet going, get this fucking thing off me! Get this thing off of me! Get this thing off of me! Get this thing off of me! But you don't see what's on him. And then it cuts to like this interrogation room where he's like wrapped in a blanket and he's asking him what he did and he's like, he forced this thing on me. He put a gun in my mouth. There was a gun in my fucking throat. And Morgan Freeman just drops this Polaroid of the thing that he was wearing. And it's basically like this bondage strap on with like a blade on the dick. It's intense. And it, you just have to use your imagination for that one. You don't see any of the crime scene. Yeah, thank God. So I also read, and I wonder if this is lore too, because this was like all on the same thing, but that the actor playing the guy. Leland Orser. Oh, he's so good. That like he stayed up, that they like pushed the date of filming it or something so that he could stay up a whole nother day. Oh, interesting. To like be extra crazy feeling. Sleep deprived yeah. and hyperventilating in yes. the corner. Yeah. yeah. So that he was literally shaking because he was oxygen deprived. Mm -hmm. He had a gun and, and he made it. 
happened. He made me do it. He, he, he put that thing on me. And, and, and he made me wear it. Then he, 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 he told me to fuck her. And I did. I, I fucked her. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, he had a gun in my mouth. The fucking gun was in my throat. I, I, I'm I'm just like on the fence about this performance because I think it's amazing. Oh, it's on so the one scary. hand, I recognize its effectiveness. Yeah. But on the other hand, there are moments where I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's almost like you can't fathom. It feels so real. Like it's so fucked up. It feels so real. Yeah. To me. It, the fact that like what he is forced to do is something that a normal person couldn't fathom. Mm hmm. And so the fact that his choice to represent that is this extreme, almost about to explode panic attack, to me just feels like potentially real. Like maybe that is what would it, it would just destroy you. I think his performance is great. And yeah, then the, the scene at the bar with Mills and Somerset, I just think this is an important scene about yeah. the, th he essentially expresses that this world is apathetic and this world sort of breeds apathy from people and that uh you know morgan freeman's character admits that he's no different he's like it's easier for me to be apathetic and brad pitt kind of calls him on it he's like so your solution to apathy is more apathy like because people don't care you don't care about people is that it and it sort of shifts his brain a little bit mm -hmm. you can tell he's like i won't agree with you on that i can't agree with you on that like i i'm out here trying to make a difference and it's it's kind of what first clued me into like okay this movie is like not as nihilistic as as it seems it at least has a character representing like hope and i think ultimately it's what uh morgan freeman's character his journey is to sort of like find a, a care in humanity that he doesn't have at the beginning of this movie right after the scene we see he can't sleep anymore he goes home he turns his little metronome on and he can't fucking listen to those seconds tick away anymore he throws it across the room he gets up and he starts fucking throwing bullseyes with this with a switchblade into a into a dartboard he's determined was that just pure luck that he got that it looks like he nails a bullseye he does in real life now we're kind of blowing through the the kills because we get one more mm -hmm. pride which is a woman a beautiful woman who he cut her nose off and then he glued a telephone to one hand and uh, sleeping pills to another hand, and he gives her the choice. You can either call for help and survive with a completely disfigured face, or you can take these sleeping pills and kill yourself, and she chooses to kill herself. And he writes like on the wall, like, this was her choice or something. I didn't do it. I really like, too, the, the lead up to this scene. You get the 911 call operators. They answer the phone, and he goes, I've gone and done it again. <laughs> it's creepy it reminds me of uh, Black Christmas the phone mm -hmm. call stuff this is where the big the first big twist of the movie happens they're at the police station I love this it comes at a perfect yeah. time mm -hmm. it's so unexpected and so effective right as the movie's like ramping up yeah this cab pulls out in front of the police station you see two feet step out detective <laughs> detective detective you're looking for me <laughs> and this is where you got to give it up like he's just this is kevin this is kevin's good in this role and he's covered in blood and his fingers are covered in bandages because we later find out he's been cutting the tips of his fingers off to prevent any fingerprints Ooh. and yeah so he turns himself in and what a fucking power move on his part like they yeah. did not catch him and then this basically leads to 
like a straight walk into hell yeah, the, for the rest the, of and this movie. But the movie flies. Yeah. This, yeah. There's still maybe, what, 30? Probably um, about 30 minutes left minutes in the movie. Minutes more, and it flies. He tells them there's two final bodies and that he will show it to them, but he's got to bring it to them. The guy who plays his lawyer does a great job. Yeah, yeah he's, he's good. really good. Richard Schiff, great actor. West Wing, The Lost World. It's a high hide. I love how, like, Matter of fact, he's just he like, is. "Hey, this yeah. is what it is. You want the bodies? He's gonna, mm-hmm. he's gonna, he'll show them to you." And there's a really fun moment where they, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, are like shaving their chests because they're gonna get wired. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Freeman says, "If John Doe's head splits open and a UFO was to fly out, I want you to expect it." Mm-hmm. To me, that's creepy. Yeah, it's like that. He says it in a way where it's like anything could happen. Anything could yeah. fucking happen. They have no control over any of this shit. They have no clue what they're walking into. He is in complete control. And that's his admitting it. Like a fucking alien might fly out of this guy's head. We don't fucking know. Yeah. Interesting thing in the commentary for this sequence, they're shaving their chests. Morgan Freeman is completely shirtless. Brad Pitt is wearing a button up that's just opened, but he's got a shirt on over it. Yeah, and he regrets it. And he regrets it. Yeah. And he says in the commentary that he forced them to put a shirt on him because he had just made Legends of the Fall right before this. And all anybody could talk about was his body and his his hunkiness. And Mm -hmm. so he was like, I at the time, I did not want my body to be shown in this movie because I wanted to escape that. But in hindsight, he regrets it because Mm -hmm. he's like, Morgan Freeman is completely shirtless. And at this point in the movie, they're finally these two characters are finally like bonding. They're finally aligned. And the right thing would have been that they are both shirtless, that they're yeah. both exposed completely to each other and are one. You know, and I understand it. If you're, if you're, if people are just only talking about your body, I understand why you wouldn't want to show it. But he looks back on it and thinks that he made the wrong move. I agree. <laughs> I wanted to see cute. more of that yeah. bod. We want to see that hot Brad mm-hmm. Pitt body. His eight pack. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just say he gets over it by the time they shoot Fight Club. Because mm-hmm. well, he yeah. transformed his body and mm-hmm. shows it off. That was the first really. time I saw that, like, the six pack that goes down oh. and then it goes into your groin. And oh, yeah. What are they called? That. Come, come. Come here? No, they're called they're called something like cum shooters or something. Oh my, like that. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be like come <laughs> to me. No, the 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 lines that lead the high, to your the, dick. La- the the I first time I ever met with a with a workout instructor who was gonna like train us. This was a few years ago. Right before our wedding. He was like, What's like what's your goal? Like what's your body type goal? And I said, Brad Pitt and Fight Club. <laughs> and he just laughed. He was like, everybody says Brad Pitt and Fight Club. Wow. I was like, damn, I thought I was being kind of original. That's so funny. But they, <laughs> they said it earnestly, probably. Yeah. Did I you mean, say it earnestly too? Ish, half and half. Like I knew it was kind of a joke. What if you said like Morgan you Freeman in seven? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gluttony kill in seven? Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'd, I've probably talked to you guys about this before, but since we're talking about it now... It, the movie The Whale has the same structure where it says like Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, and it's even written in like the same sort of scratchy typewriter font. And the first time I went and saw The Whale, like I noticed that was happening and it suddenly dawned on me. I was like, you know what would be kind of cool is if by the end of this movie, the fucking pizza guy who keeps popping in and out of this movie turns out to be Kevin Spacey. And we realize that this is all just like the origin story of the gluttony kill in seven. That would be kind of a cool little twist. Mm-hmm. I'd probably would have liked the movie better had it, had it ended with that. <laughs> that would be the only <laughs> message of the movie. I mean, what a Shyamalan twist that would be if Aronofsky's like, I backdoor Come made gutters. 
cum gutters. Oh, yeah. that's, what that's awful. The gutters part of it. Yeah. Cum gutters. Thank the you. The cum part of it. <laughs> I don't know. The gutters is what's getting me. Hey, don't y'all guys think the word moist is gross? I hate it when people say that. Mm. Nobody thinks that. What about panties? Most people think panties is gross. I don't think anybody thinks any words are gross. Panties is, it's kind of gross (laughs) to hear certain people say the word panties. Gives you a little shiver down your spine. Did you pee your panties? Ew. Right there. (laughs) Corey, it's not, it's not, it's never too, I just want to remind you, it's never too late to leave. Thank you. It's never too late to start again. Thank you. If um, I just show up on your front door yeah. knocking, you'll yeah, know Yeah, I have why. a spare bedroom. We'll, uh, Sharon and I will help you get back on Thank your feet. You. Uh, then we get this great car scene. So he's, he's taking them to the two bodies. They have to drive this long car right out to the to the desert, basically. And you get this awesome three-person scene with Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey in the back. They're talking through the, through the, through the grill of the police car. So where are we heading? You'll see. We're not just going to pick up two more dead bodies, are we, John? That wouldn't be shocking enough. We've got newspapers to think about, yeah? Wanting people to listen, you can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer. And then you'll notice you've got their strict attention. But the question is, what makes you so special that people should listen? I'm not special. I've never been exceptional. This is, though, what I'm doing. The work done? Yes. See, I, I don't I, I don't see anything special about it, John. That's not true. No, it is true. And the funny thing is, all this work, two months from now, no one's gonna care, no one's gonna give a shit, no one's gonna remember. You can't see the whole complete act yet. But when this is done, people will barely be able to comprehend it. But they won't be able to deny it. Could the freak be any more vague? I mean, as far as master plans go, John. I can't wait for you to see. I really can't. It's really going to be something. Well, you know what? I'm going to be standing right next to you. So when this big thing happens, you be sure and let me know, because I wouldn't want to miss it. Oh, don't worry. You won't. You won't miss a thing. It's so fun and it's so frustrating. You're like, Brad Pitt, just shut. Like, you have the upper hand right now. Like, when he gets mm, under Kevin Spacey's skin. He ain't got the upper hand. But he, well, of course. But in the conversation, he does he does get Kevin Spacey, like, ugh, like, like flustered. Yeah. But then Kevin Spacey just turns it on him again. It's like, just shut up. Yeah, they're really going back and forth with each other. They're trying to kind of learn more about this guy. But Brad Pitt can't help himself. He despises him so much. Right. He has such disdain for him. And Brad Pitt truly thinks he's a, he's a crazy person. Morgan Freeman, you can tell, knows this guy's got intelligence. And like you pointed out earlier... Morgan Freeman has more in common with John Doe than he would want to admit. They both actually think this world is a shitty place. It's just that John Doe wants to yeah. do something. That's about one of it. my favorite parts in the movies when John Doe is explaining some things and you cut to Morgan Freeman and you know he's like Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with John yeah. Doe. And he's like, you, you you, probably were secretly thanking me for that mm-hmm. one, you know, with like the pedophile. Yeah, and the lawyer. Yeah. The lawyer, yeah. Mm-hmm. We see a deadly sin on every street corner, in every home, and we tolerate it because it's common. It's trivial. Well, not anymore. What I'm doing is going to be puzzled over and studied 
and followed forever. forever. You're a fucking movie of the week. You're mm-hmm. a fucking t-shirt like Brad Pitt can't. Mm-hmm. He's got to throw it in there. Yeah. And he's like, you know, don't forget that we knocked on your door. And he's like, well, I seem to remember breaking your face. Mm-hmm. What were you biting your time toying <laughs> with me? Yeah. <laughs> You're only alive because I let you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he says by the end of it, like, you won't miss a thing. Mm-hmm. It's like truly spooky, especially if yeah. you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Because you know, the audience knows they have no fucking plan. They're walking into hell. He's in complete control this whole time. Even though they got him handcuffed and they've got the guns, they have no clue what they're walking into. He leads him out to this desert. This van comes flying down the street. It's a delivery truck. Morgan Freeman goes out to, to intercept it. And meanwhile, John Doe starts talking to Brad Pitt like, you know, I admire you, detective. I admire the life you have. And he's not listening at first. He's like, shut the fuck up, you yeah. idiot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm trying to tell you that I envy you and your pretty wife. And then oh. he's like, what? Hey, man, this guy gave me 500 bucks to deliver this box out of here. You know, he's an Arquette. This guy? Oh, yeah. oh really? Mm-hmm. Man, these Arquettes are all over the mm-hmm. damn place. <laughs> uh, that's cool. They're like, get the bomb squad. McGinley's in a helicopter <laughs> hovering over like, what the fuck? Yeah. We got a box. And Morgan Freeman's like, I'm going to open it. He cuts it open. And I uh, love his reaction to so this. So good. Because he's he's just in complete shock at what he's seeing when he opens this box. Yeah. Morgan Freeman is like cr- uh, critical of his performance. Yeah, he and thinks he, he like, failed. He was like, I've never seen anything like that. So I don't. <laughs> I didn't know how to react. Yeah, he's like, I didn't know how to access yeah. this emotion. And yeah, he thinks he he like. I think he ball. did a fine job. W- I would have <laughs> loved. Uh, there, there's a part of me that would have loved to see him a little more emotional. Just because he knows her, you know, I wanted to see. I think see... it felt like genuine shock, yeah, though. I don't it know. would be so scary as an actor to be like, okay, and this is like the most, like to have to have yeah. that. Sh- like you would just be practicing it, it like shocking. in a mirror. I think and be it's like, perfect. Oh. I think it's perfect. Yeah. It just uh, the movie sure, inside sure. of me, the movie person wants one more full circle of his yeah. relationship with her that he did form his own connection to Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. so it it means something to him well, too what you also have to remember though is we don't know what's in the box and what he also has to play is the ambiguity of it i think he might not be necessarily thinking about that but fincher must be thinking about yeah. it of like we want to give it away exactly we want to see on his face something but we also don't want to yeah. tip also, Fincher is a stickler for that kind of shit. If he didn't get what he, he yeah, he, if he, he doesn't get what he wants, he would have kept going until Morgan got there. But yeah, we know what's in the box. But yeah. if you're watching this for the first time, you don't know what the fuck is. John in the Doe box. has the upper hand. Yeah, and that's so great. He's just staring at it. and He's going, "Don't come over here." Yeah, John Doe has the upper hand, which is a cheesy line, but he sells it uh, in such a good so way. Good. It's so sad. That's, yeah. And so he goes running back because now he knows. It's like Morgan Freeman has pieced together. The plan. He understands what John Doe wants to happen here. And so he goes running back to Mills and he's going, Mills, drop the gun. Don't do it. Just drop the gun. And Mills is like, what's in the fucking box? And this is where you get the lines. What's in the box? What's in the box? Put the gun down. I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Give me the gun. Why do people make fun of that? I think they, I don't know if they're making fun of it. I think it's just iconic. 
I don't think it, it, I don't I think think it did used to be get made fun of. Like, yeah, it just feels like some like an SNL or Matt TV thing. Though. Yeah, yeah. But he's uh, so. I think he's so good in this. It's just a supremely quotable line. Yeah. John Doe starts telling him like I I I went to your apartment, and he doesn't. Brad Pitt doesn't know whether to believe him or not. Mm-hmm. And he essentially says, "I tried to play house." Yeah, I tried to play house. Ugh, which makes you think like he definitely raped her. And he was like, so I decided to take a souvenir, her pretty head. She begged for her life and the baby inside of her. And then Brad Pitt makes his face and he goes, oh, he didn't know. And yeah, this is when Brad Pitt's really has like a breakdown. He's like, oh, God. Uh, Become wrath. Become wrath. You're in this like close up on Brad Pitt's face. And then right before you get this flash of Gwyneth Paltrow's face. And it's just like her face. Do you think it needs that? I like it. What I don't do you know. Think, Why, you don't like it? I, I don't, I'm asking. I liked it. I like it because it's such a quick flash that you don't know if you mm. saw her head in the box. Mm-hmm. It's technically, I think, I think that's what it her implies. I paused on it. Oh, you did? Yeah, it's just her face. It's just, I think it's her blown in, out. in bed, like laying on a pillow. To me, it's what his last image of her. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he, we see him kiss her in the morning. I know, but because it's, it's literally one or two frames, it, it yeah. feels like, ugh. Yeah. I oh, think yeah. it's, it, it's effective in that it's startling. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. If you kill him, he will win. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh! And then he fucking blasts him. Shoots him, then walks over and unloads the rest mm-hmm. of his gun on him. Mm-hmm. And there's the a good... look on his face when uh, he's doing it. So real. So the, the one of the special features shows an alternate version of the ending, which was really just an alternate performance from Brad Pitt. Uh, and it's fucking awesome. It's honestly just as good to me and maybe even... Oh, I want to go watch it. It's hard to say better because it has none of the... Um, oh, God. It has none of the sort of like pukey nature of this one. He just becomes a fucking zombie. He like stands there with this like zonked out, glassy-eyed zombie look. And that is what builds into him shooting. And then he's just still in the zombie. And you see a little bit of it at the end of the scene where he's zombie mode. But it's really like watching the deleted scene. I was like, that's pretty powerful, too, because it feels really real. It feels like he's in complete shock. And did you hear in the commentary, there's this moment where Brad Pitt, he's, he's getting upset and he runs over to John Doe and he puts the gun to his forehead and shoves his head back, shoves Kevin Spacey's head. And they said in the commentary that that was an improvised move on Brad Pitt's part and that they could tell that Kevin Spacey did not like it. <laughs> and if you go back and rewatch the scene. It looks painful. Yeah. And Kevin Spacey, I think, looks off to Fincher because he does it. He shoves, he shoves his head back and then you see Kevin Spacey make this turn back and he, he does this look back like, are you fucking kidding me? But he's not looking at Brad Pitt. Oh. He's looking at something else off screen, and I think he's looking back at Fincher like, are you going to let this fucking guy do that to me? Yes, because it works. <laughs> yeah, it <looks laughs> and, so and Fincher good. said like it was so awesome that he had to kind of huddle up with the AD and be like, do you think we got enough of him shoving his head? Because 
Spacey's not going to let that happen. <laughs> like we can't be doing that all day. Like he did not come out well, here. I he mean, didn't sign up to get his head shoved. It, it's great, but it's only unprofessional in the sense that like they could have made it just as effective if it was like discussed beforehand. Sure, sure. Did Brad Pitt have no control in that moment? I don't know. Maybe that's what makes it amateur. Because it probably Kevin hurts Spacey's to have like yeah. a real gun oh, shoved against yeah, your Kevin, forehead. Yeah, Kevin Spacey probably calculates everything. Yeah. So for him, it's rookie to just do something mm-hmm. in the maybe, moment and maybe. unprofessional. Yeah. I get it. If it were you who um, had Corey's head in a box, would you run over to the box and check it before you blasted his ass? <sighs> I think Morgan Freeman would have told. I think you wouldn't have because if it wasn't her, Morgan, yeah, Morgan Freeman, Freeman would have told him. He was like, "It's not her. It's not her." Yeah. And Morgan Freeman wouldn't have let him go over there. You know, you don't think so? I don't think he would have even let him. You're saying like to you, prove that yeah, he did kill you her. Would, you would need to see. It. You are. You I would, think Morgan you, Freeman not telling him that it's in that yeah, it's not but it's her. So unbelievable. What do you mean? I don't. It's it's such a horrific thing but a case oh, you in mean point like of exactly you would need why the proof of you, but you maybe the I'm, proof is I'm, morgan freeman not telling you yeah, because I'm, if it wasn't i'm just saying in real yeah, life in, in real life i yeah. think i would have known in real life i'm telling you the yeah. gun is if jack if turned. it was if the tables were turned and, it, and you were the detective and it was jack's head in the box do you think you would secretly be like oh finally i'm free <laughs> <laughs> No, I told you, Jack I would have turned the gun on myself. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I would I would have absolutely shot John Doe. Uh-huh. Thank you. I would have been like, especially if I was carrying the baby. I would have been like, I don't care if this is what he wants. I'm going to shoot his ass, <clears throat> and then you and I would have sh- stuck that thing. Yeah, right in my- <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. because Brad Pitt has nothing to live for oh, yeah. now. Nothing. It's and honestly, <laughs> so this movie had multiple <laughs> suicide in this. Multiple endings <laughs> were considered for this. Including one where Morgan Freeman kills John Doe as like a uh, to protect Brad Pitt from doing it. Like he chooses to sort of sacrifice yeah. himself almost in a way. But Glad they didn't do that, but I don't think that's the worst. I don't of think the, that's but a also, terrible idea. I think it kind of sucks because it doesn't bring back Tracy. It doesn't make it any better for Brad Pitt. And that's true. And then now Morgan Freeman just has to go to jail. Yeah. And like, what, what satisfaction do we get? Like, oh, he didn't get his master plan. Like, which is what the studios thought. The studios were like, we can't give this to John Doe. Like we have to, he's already killed your wife. He's already killed your unborn child. We can't let him win at the end of the fucking thing. So we need Somerset to kill him. And that was what they were ultimately fighting for. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant because what it does is it, this, the original ending, this, this ending, it's giving you the bloodlust of vengeance. He does take his vengeance out on him, but he does lose. And ultimately it highlights that it's all just violence. It's all, you know, there's no winning in vengeance. There's no satisfaction to revenge. And um, he gets it, but he also played right into the plan and satisfied the thing. You don't see that happen. I think it's, I think it's a pretty incredible, pretty incredible ending. What do you think the ultimate message that John Doe was trying to communicate with the opus, the whole thing. Was it all to prove that somebody like Brad Pitt could come? I mean, is, do you look at the pieces individually? Do you look at it as, as a whole? I think his, in his mind, his hope is that he is going to wake up the world. He's gonna, it's a wake-up call that we mm-hmm. are living in Sodom and Gomorrah, that we are, they are a world just surrounded in sin, and it took this to... To make us all realize that. I mean, I think it's kind of like what Morgan Freeman is saying. Like, we live in a world of apathy. And, and I think he thinks, you know, that's why he says, you know, you, you have to get people's attention by hitting them in the face with a sledgehammer. 
ultimately, though, I think in reality, he wants to be famous. He wants to be an icon. He wants to be a living legend, which is why a lot of this is why mass shooters do their thing. You know what I mean? I think that's the reality of it. Psychopath. And if we're really talking about it, he wants to fuck his mom. That's the reason why. <laughs> the movie ends with Brad Pitt being put in a cop car and being carted away. And but don't Mark, they say we'll take care of him? Or they say we'll take care of him. And cops don't go to jail. <laughs> yeah, who knows what's going to happen with him? Arlie Ermey says, "What about you, Somerset?" And he goes, "I'll be around," which implies he's not going to retire. And then you get a voiceover where he says, "Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for." I agree with the second part, which is his evolution. Yeah, he didn't agree with that at the beginning of the movie, but now he agrees with it. Yeah. I like it. I think it's a beautiful code. And then the credits go in reverse. Which is a huge goof. I can't believe they accidentally... <laughs> re- I'm going to go to IMDb, and I'm going to report that in the goof section. Yeah. I like I like that. And Me I too. like... Uh, it's funny that it starts with the Kevin Spacey credit. Yep. You know, they say maybe because he didn't get a credit at the top because right. he didn't want to spoil it. got to keep anything. it a secret. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, We will be right back to talk final thoughts on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Seven. Well, well, come back. We're back. <laughs> okay. To Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on David Fincher's 1995 neo-noir thriller. Corey, I'm going to start with you. I had a great time. Um, this movie, I feel like, I mean, I've definitely seen this multiple times throughout my life. This was the first time that it really... I feel like hit the scary levels hit at a different level to the point where I did tell Jack, I was like, you would need to get like a ring camera or I don't like, I was just, it made me get kind of spooked mm-hmm. enough in my own house and really Scarier start thinking than about, yeah, definitely. Because it feels like there are psychopaths like this in this world. So yeah, it really worked for me on that. I think the performances are so good. Uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt are both at the top of the game. Brad Pitt's a snack. It's fun. I get that's a weird way to describe this movie, but it is. I mean, like, you know, it hits all the 
the cop elements of all that. A Fincher is just so fun to watch. It is it is a weird movie to watch now because it could if this was the first time you were watching this movie, I could see how it could feel like played out a bit because so many things copy it. Yeah. So I think it's one of those movies that when you go and watch, you have to remind yourself that this movie is the reason why there are so many things like this now um, and try and not judge it too harshly in that aspect. But it's great. It makes me want to go back and watch a bunch of Fincher stuff. Um, yeah. Every time I watch a Fincher, it makes me want to watch more Finchers. Yep. Same. I want to watch Alien 3. Where do you stand on Alien 3? I love it. I think he's nuts. Really? I mean, I understand when something gets when something gets pulled out from under you and taken away and it's not your vision, you hate it. But he, he doesn't good. have the ability. It's so close and he doesn't have the ability to step back and just yeah. appreciate it for what it is. Is it the best Alien movie? No. But it, it spe- stands out. It stands out. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, it too. It's still special. Yeah. Um, I love the movie. I think, you know, Corey mentioned it's fun. I don't know if it's fun, but it definitely doesn't feel, to me, I don't feel exhausted after I come out of this yeah. movie. Yeah. It's it's not, uh, you know, maybe we watched something recently where we're like, oh, I can't watch that again for a long Fear time. Fear and loathing mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Fear and loathing, you know, even like Oppenheimer, not going to go see that again. Mm. But- <laughs> Uh, th- a movie like this is just so well done and has a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah, that I, I come out of it energized and and the whole. I mean, the last thirty minutes of the movie alone is just worth the ride every time. Yeah. I think it's just fun to get to that place uh, and see how everything un- unfolds. It's a beautiful symphony. Fincher is the key element of this puzzle. Without him, I think we have. Um, uh, we have something else entirely. Totally. So I think kudos to the writer for creating this. Yeah. But the credit goes to Fincher for uh, hitting the home run. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think this movie is one of those where if it was on TV, you could probably come in anywhere and you're going to watch the rest of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's not kind of a, I don't think there's a bad section of this movie. And it heightens. You know there's something more exciting coming with every new scene. Um, Yeah, I think this is a brilliant movie. Even though I can sort of like see a little bit more of the separation now between the script and the final product, I think they go hand in hand in a lot of ways. I think part of the reason why this movie is such an emotional gut punch but also feels not exhausting is because it's kind of sharing the world with like a a fun genre procedural. It's doing sort of mainstream stuff while also being edgy and provocative and different than those Mm -hmm. other kinds of things. And I still think it's scary, even though it's not quite, doesn't quite give me the chills like it used to. I appreciate it for all sorts of other things. And yeah, Fincher is a genius. And this is a this was a showstopper movie that changed the course of his career and I think changed the course of cinema in a lot of ways. And so I'm happy to have this DVD. I will probably at some point upgrade to a Blu-ray, but this is a good transfer. It looked great. I didn't have any issues with the way things looked. Uh, I like the way it looks on the shelf as well. So I'm going to keep this DVD and... Um, Probably going to watch this movie again in a couple of years. Yeah, I'm going to keep this. I'm not going to return it to the library. Ooh. Um, let it get overdue. The FBI is watching. Yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, I think this might be my top two Morgan Freeman performances. This and Shawshank. Uh, mm. I love his character in Seven. I think it's yeah. really, Me too. 
uh, it's not too often you get a, a detective like this mm-hmm. who plays it with grace and elegance yeah. and restraint and and so much humanity. Yeah. I love it. Well, now that we've said everything about David Fincher 7, what do you say we play? The Seven Deadly Characters Quiz. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> These seven sinful movie characters would be perfect victims for John Doe. Can you guess the movies? Character number one, greed. Wealthy corporate raider Gordon Gecko preaches that greed is good in Just, this 1987 Justin. film. Wall Street. You should be very proud. Damn. That's correct. <laughs> Even though pride's a sin, I'm proud. <laughs> I'm greedy for points. Horny for points. <laughs> Careful. John Doe might get you. Corey, Corey if you're too slow, you might be a sloth. Oh. Ooh, uh, I'm, I'm a glutton for jokes like that. Okay. We're all, funny or die. 20, 2000 era funny or die boys right here. Corey, have you ever seen Wall Street? No, but I did know it was that movie because it was Charlie Sheen's in that. Yeah. So you could have guessed it. I was thinking I was trying because I, I knew that that's what the movie was, but I didn't know what it was called. I couldn't the that perks of being a Wall Street mm. flower. Yeah. John mm. Doe would have a let's, field let's day that with that character. <laughs> All right. Character number two. Envy. Twisted underground leader Red invades the life of a woman she envies in this 2019 film. Red? Say it again. Twisted underground leader Red invades the life of a woman she envies in this 2019 film. Underground. Red. Can we get another clue? I'm blanking. Oh, 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 us. You should be very proud. Nicely done. She envies that life. Yeah. Doppelganger. That's good. Mm Mm-hmm. That's Lupita Nyong'o, by the way. So good. We are Americans. Pretty good. Yeah, we all saw the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Character number three. Pride. Brutish boxer Butch lets his pride get in the way of throwing a big fight in this 1994 film. Rocky? No! It's not Raging Bull, is it? No! Give another clue. It's 1994. Not, it's not Fat City, is it? No! <laughs> it's naming every boxing movie. I, I know, 94. Here's a hint. It's not a boxing movie. Oh. 94. Brutish boxer Butch lets his pride. I'll give you a hint. The night of the fight, you might feel a slight sting. That's pride. Fucking with is a comedy? It has comedic elements. Its director does call it a comedy. <laughs> Justin? Snake Eyes? No! <sighs> <laughs> I'm, we don't know. The quote that you're saying is so familiar, but I can't think of the movie. It sounds like you're doing Sylvester Stallone, too. So it's no, it, so- it sounds like you're... Oh, Justin, Pulp Fiction. You should be very proud. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was tough. Is the bo- it can't get boxing movies out of my mm-hmm. head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tricky, tricky. All right. 
character number four, gluttony. Bed-bound bad guy, Pearl, is a glutton for blood in this 1998 film. Bed-bound bad guy, Pearl, is a glutton for blood in this 1998 film. That'd be something about vampires, maybe? Justin? No. I think it's Blade. You should be very proud. Pearl, that big old obese vampire. Yeah, that was a cool character. Mm-hmm. All right, so... We know. Two, <laughs> three for Justin, one for Corey. Yeah. You gotta catch up, Corey. Okay. Character number five, Wrath. Ordinary man William D. Fence Foster unleashes his wrath across Los Angeles Ugh, after getting it. stuck in traffic it's in this 1993 show. Justin falling down. Damn it. You should be very proud. Very good. You couldn't have come up with more sound bites than that. <laughs> it was hard to find a yes one out there. <laughs> I was able to find a couple for no. He doesn't ever say bingo. I <laughs> see. I tried. I because I I was like thinking, does Brad Pitt say yeah. bingo? But then you search that, and it's all just the inglorious bastards. It's a bingo scene. Uh, you what you should have done for the no was only in a world this fucked up could you think something? <laughs> could you say something like that with a straight face? <laughs> okay, so Justin has four. Corey has one. Character one. number six, lust. Struggling actor Jake Scully finds himself dick deep in a murder plot after lusting over a gorgeous blonde through a telescope in this 1984 movie. Justin Body Double. You should be very proud. All right. These are all Justin-centric, so... You live with him, though. You probably get <laughs> yeah. some... In- You've seen all these yeah. movies? Yeah, but come on. All right. Final character. And this character is worth seven points. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Sloth. Sexy stoner Floyd lays around watching TV, smoking dope out of a honey bear bottle, and giving bad directions to mob hitmen in this 1993 Justin, true romance. Justin wins the seven deadly characters quiz. Also Brad Pitt. Yeah. Also Brad Pitt. <laughs> And that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And Justin, tell the people what movie we'll be talking about next week. We are watching Clint Eastwood's 1992 Western, Unforgiving. Ooh, in a dug the Unforgiven. Whoa, whoa. Wish that song was in that movie. Well, it might be in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Bye. See you in seven days. Ooh. Bye.